us. I know, I know, I know. Trash Day specifically said they don't want to watch this because they quote unquote won't get the Easter eggs, but that's fine. (laughs) You don't need to get the Easter eggs. It's okay. What Easter eggs? Like other than Turn A, you might get like one. (laughs) But in Turn A Gundam, he uses shining fingers. I haven't haven't seen G Gundam. I won't get the Easter eggs. I just love the idea that like this anime convention committed war crimes and it's like what the fuck? Yeah, a bunch of a bunch of game devs they they start making their game and then they find out that their health packs they designed to violate the Geneva Convention. Oh, uh oh. <laughs> it is it is fucking uh. weird that that applies to like games and cards and shit cuz like yeah. I can see why it would make sense as, on as a battlefield. Like, not even just on a battlefield, but just like in like public. Cause like if like you know something were to happen in the six months there's like a ground invasion in, in the fucking of Columbus, Ohio. Of Columbus, yeah. Ohio. <laughs> uh you know, God forbid. But and, and like people are walking around and they're like, oh no, I, my arm has been shot off. Where do I go? And they're like, Where Oh, there's I a go? red cross, and they go and it's a fucking uh, Yu-Gi-Oh convention or something. Like I can see that it's it's right. an anime convention. Oh no! I thought you oh, were a certified no. nurse. Um, I can see that, but like it doesn't it doesn't really make sense when it's like just on TV because like where are they gonna? Oh my yeah. god! I gotta watch this for health tips. <laughs> Cauterize this wound I received. Like okay, what? I don't get it. It's just fucking bizarre. The more the more you know. See, this is. This is what a real informative anime podcast needs to be like. It yeah, was random f- Snapple facts. Uh, I guess we'll. I guess we could just do the intro. Uh, welcome back to the Weeb Crew. Can you be more high energy, please? I'm your host, Mumi. Um, Why are you doing this? Why do you realize how <laughs> annoying this is to edit when it's like we go from just like having this like like fun conversation and then you try and do the intro and you're like, "Hello, <laughs> this is the Weeb Crew," and it's like this that's, is like that's our stick. <laughs> we hate ourselves. Oh my god! Hello and welcome to the Weeb Crew. <laughs> I'm your host. I'm your I'm your good host who actually tries to make things easy, psychotic, and I'm joined today with my co-host Mumi the one that hates himself yes the one that makes my life annoying my job hard and we're joined (laughs) today by our guest mercury falcon hello it's great to be here do you 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 know that's how you do a podcast intro no you can call me you can call me jack i am i am from an old age of the internet where you were uh expected to go by a username but uh uh, it does feel weird in my current age to be referred to by a username. Damn, I feel attacked. Uh, <laughs> as you should be. It's Literally. funny too because because you go back far enough in time to like old Usenet posts, people just go back to using their like full name again. Oh yeah. Well, that was like was an age of the internet where like no one gave a shit. Like the one was yeah, thinking about like people in college. Just yeah. Doing stuff. Like, you weren't going to fucking get doxxed and like have your IP address leaked on Usenet posts. <laughs> yeah, swatting yeah, wasn't I was, like, 
back in the uh, back in the abridging community, there was this one. I won't name names, but uh, there was an abridging group, and they were like so proud of their series that at the end they included end credits where they uh, credited all of their voice actors by their full legal names, and everyone was like, "Oh my god, that's so pretentious!" <laughs> but like. <laughs> <laughs> now I watch videos and that's kind of like the norm is seeing like, oh, just that's this guy. And this yeah, guy. yeah. Yeah. And there might be there might be a few people that go under a pseudonym, but it's mostly just like full names. And it's it's so weird. The shift on that from from the idea of using your full name being like this weird, pretentious, you're trying too hard mentality. Yeah, that's that's definitely been a thing with like the newer generation too. like. They just fucking post their full name and address. There's like, hey, come full name address meet up at my house. number. <laughs> This, I, I, I've been telling I've been saying like I'm going to sound like an old man I, I, I get into some discords and they have channels for like selfies and venting and like do you know how easy it would be to like get your information when you're posting pictures of your of your pictures of your face and then being like oh these are my insecurities my you know it's like the family guy joke where it's like here's a uh, my home address school uh, school schedule and a list of my fears it's like <laughs> See, if you ever want to, like, win a debate about, like, if society has gotten, like, more dangerous or whatever, like, you just point to this shit. You're just like, the whole stranger danger shit, if that were, like, fucking getting worse, these fucking kids are just online posting everything. Like, my fucking parents leave me alone at night for seven hours between the hours. <laughs> like, post my whole face. They're fucking, like, statistics. Like, it's a fucking... Like database sheet. Here, my dad. Here's my dad's tax return from last. Like, do they even <laughs> like in school? Because I can remember they would have they would like take everyone in the school, sit us all down in, like the auditorium, and then give us like an internet safety lecture. Do they even still do that anymore? I thought you were gonna go into like a dick measuring bit. I was like, <laughs> no, we didn't have penis inspection day. <laughs> no, I'm talking about like because like they would be like, yeah, I you know, uh, practice stranger danger online. Don't uh. <laughs> don't give out any like personal information they didn't, they didn't do that they for are, it's clearly not working they, yeah they didn't do that for me yeah. the only thing that happened was there was a uh there was like a myspace incident I, I think a kid got kidnapped through myspace and we had like a big meeting about that and it was it instead of like teaching parents about how to use the internet and to like keep your kids safe they basically just went nuclear and were like don't let your kids use a computer ever. <laughs> oh my computer God. is bad. That's where the bad people live. <laughs> That's where yeah, you're, the bad you're, people you're like the generation, like, or not generation, but you're just like, you just came in right behind us, I think. So you, okay. uh, you, um, uh, you got all of like, that's why you had the internet safety day shit is because fucking kids in our school was like posting shit and getting it. I had so many, there was, that was like the time, like right before they like started implementing all these laws where like and, kids and, like, would like blocking websites on like school internet. Yeah. Shit, well, shit, like, well, they started doing that from like, or mid two thousands, but okay. Um, no, like people would like send fucking nudes of themselves to their boyfriend in high school. And then that would become like a huge fucking like, Oh thing. yeah. Yeah. And then like people would get, start getting fucking put on lists and shit. And it was like, Oh, this is a this is a new era. To quote the theme to Pokemon Johto, it's a whole new world we live in. <laughs> that's that's the most appropriate time to quote Pokemon is when you're talking about being put on a sexual predator it's, list. It's when you're talking about children distributing child <laughs> pornography of themselves.
Now you're gonna have to censor that because I don't think we can say those words together. But it goes up on YouTube. It's it's a whole new place with a whole new attitude, (laughs) but we still gotta catch them all because they're predators. Um, this is an anime podcast. Why are we talking about Poke- sexual Pokemon predators? is an anime. Um, I, I think we, I think we kind of established we're kind of close to the same age, me and you at least. Sai, you're you're a baby, I guess. In I'm this like, one. yeah, I guess. I'm it's like six, maybe literally like, five yeah, or six. like six and a half years younger than yeah, you. than me. I, I think you might be like five years younger than John. Um, how Not so? Fair. If you want to like introduce yourself. Go kind of give plug your stuff and then you know kind of tell us how you got it got into anime because I imagine it's probably pretty close to me but I don't know like some people have like some fucking out there stories about how they got into anime. Yeah, I mean, uh, my name is Mercury. My YouTube is Mercury Falcon. Um, I mostly do videos on older anime, but I I mostly go from a historical angle. I like the history and the stories of specific following specific creators through their careers and seeing how they changed or how they influenced the medium. Um, and then also maybe looking back on works and seeing how they've been adapted throughout the time. Um, so it's a, it's a lot of stuff like that. I, I was told it was a niche that would never take off, but uh, it's more and more people seem to be getting into retro anime now. Yeah. Uh, then, then when I started maybe in 2017, started doing videos like this. So it, it's been pretty great. And I, I've, you know, a lot more people are watching and I, I have a lot of stuff planned for this year. <laughs> so anyway, I'm sorry. I drank a whole diet Pepsi before we started. And, <laughs> it's uh, fine. <laughs> but anyway, uh, if how I got into anime, I mean, I grew up with Pokemon and Speed Racer and stuff like that. Um, Dragon Ball Z on Toonami when it when it started playing in like 98, I think is when they started playing Dragon Ball Z. Mm-hmm. Um, back to that. Konata. Check, check. Shut the fuck up. Yes, DBZ started airing in 1998. What? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, we should probably explain that. So on this <laughs> podcast, we have a running bit where we have a robot version of Kanata from Lucky Star who we just AI generate voice lines for to like fact check <laughs> us in post. Oh, okay. Oh, well, that makes sense now. You see, I didn't know that, but that makes sense as you explain that to me. Um, but, but yeah, so I, that was the what got me into anime. But then uh, I think it was around 2002 or 2003, um, they started playing anime more on Adult Swim. And specifically, I remember my friend Nicole called me uh, and, she, you know, we were I was talking about going over to her house and she was like, do you know that show Inuyasha on Adult Swim? And I said, yeah, I've seen episodes of it. And she was like, so do you know that it's that it's a thing called anime? And I remember being like, yeah, I've heard that term before. I didn't exactly know what it meant, but I had heard a couple of shows get referred to as anime. Sure. And she's like, okay, so basically like anime are like cartoons made in Japan. And uh, she basically explained like, so Pokemon, Dragon Ball Z, and Inuyasha are all anime. And that kind of like made me realize that a lot of the shows that I was super into were anime. And that made me go, oh, so I guess these aren't just like specific cartoons I like. I specifically like anime. Hmm. And so that that was that was a big thing. And that's why I'm still a major Inuyasha defender in present day, <laughs> uh, because that was the show that really got me on. That's the show that got me on the Internet looking up anime. Yeah, that sounds that sounds pretty similar to mine. Uh namely the the speed racer in Pokemon part. <laughs> I I don't know. I feel like a lot of people don't realize like how popular Speed Racer was like back in like the 80s. 
because uh, like that was like my mom's fucking like favorite show when she was a kid. So like I was exposed to Speed Racer because she'd be like, I had a crush on this guy when I was a kid. <laughs> See, I feel like my first exposure to Speed Racer then would be the Wachowski movie, which came out in like the mid 2000s. That's crazy. That's actually insane to me. Because, <laughs> because I, I mean, in the '90s, Cartoon Network aired Speed Racer in reruns all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then I, I feel like maybe in the maybe in the 2000s it started to die down until the Wachowski movie. Maybe I can't remember Speed Racer ever playing on uh, Cartoon Network itself. Maybe it was on Boomerang, but I didn't really watch that much Boomerang until I was older, and I was like. Yeah, cartoons suck now, but all the all the good old cartoons are now just on like on Boomerang and uh, like Nicktoons or whatever, like yeah, the, the off-brand you, you, channels you, you, are. Where they you put the Boomer in Boomerang? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they really did. I love I love Boomerang. I think it's dead now, or maybe it's a streaming service. I have no idea anymore. Well, see, bo- bo- all the shows that were on Boomerang did air on like Cartoon Network in like right once upon a time in ninety. No, and I mean just the nineties. Yeah, like late nineties. Right. Well, um, Maybe into the early 2000s. I'm not sure when they took it off exactly. But uh, I remember seeing stuff like fucking Jabberjaw, Magilla Gorilla or whatever on uh, Cartoon Network like in the 90s alongside like. Oh, yeah, absolutely. They Yeah, they played all like the Hanna-Barbera stuff up until like I would say probably the very late 90s to early 2000s. I feel like by that point they had enough original cartoon cartoons that they were like, okay, we don't need this stuff anymore. We got our own stuff. Yeah, and then they, they made Boomerang which is how I finally was able to watch the Smurfs. Hell yeah. It's interesting, though, that you mentioned, like, not not really being aware that these things were anime up until someone, like, brought it up to you. Because I can remember, like, watching, like, Pokemon or, shit, Bakugan, like, the Beyblade anime and stuff. And I remember seeing those, like, on TV as, like, Saturday morning cartoons and always kind of being cognizant that they were, like, Japanese it wasn't something like I just assumed that these were like American cartoons. Like it was something I was always sort of aware of that like this is different. This is something made in Japan, and that's why it it's different from these other cartoons I'm used to seeing on TV. I think that's yeah. With I I would say the first time I ever I mean I, even going back to Pokemon, my parents told me oh it's a weird Japanese cartoon. Um, my, my parents had to be the ones to tell me it was Japanese and they, they knew because, uh, Pokemon got a lot of play on the news Mm. because of obviously Pokemania, but also because of, uh, the, the, the Porygon incident, while it was only something in Japan, when the show was coming out, a lot of news in the U S did talk about it, you know, as doing as they do where they fear fear monsters. Yeah. Yeah, so they would always bring up that this show put kids in the hospital. Um, and so my parents always knew it was like a foreign show. Um, and then when I got into Inuyasha, I wanted to get I tried to get into cosplay, but it was like, oh, it was too much work for me. And I'm not like a guy who knows anything about clothing or anything. I just thought I just thought dressing up like the characters was cool when I was 10. But I remember showing my mom like outfits and she was being like, oh, so this is like a now my mom is a little old but this was a uh this was a, a politically correct term in her age but she she goes oh this is one of those like oriental characters um <laughs> it, she is from a different time that was that was her politically correct she term in her time. age believe, she was british yeah <laughs> <laughs> just like where's your opium pipe and you're like this is not yeah, I know, exactly. how this works. where are the rugs and spices <laughs> 
Oh <laughs> <laughs> shit. Um, so yeah, I, I, you you do a lot of like videos on kind of older and retro shows, but it sounds like you kind of got into it just with like the kind of normal stuff at of being an American watching Toonami. How did you end up like gravitating toward like retro anime? Yeah, uh, I mean, another bit. You know, it didn't all come with Inuyasha, I'll say. Um, Another big gateway was um, actually, I think it came out in 2005, but I don't think I saw it till 2006 or 2007. But AMV Hell 3, if you guys know what that is. Oh, yeah, yeah. um, Where AMV Hell 3 was, AMV Hell was like the little skits where they put audio clips from shows or movies and put them over anime footage. But right. AMV Hell 3 specifically was like called AMV Hell like the movie. And it was an hour and some minutes long. Um, and there were so many different shows. And I remember being like, there's this many different anime I've never heard of when I saw that. Um, huh. That that was a big floodgate for me. And I, I, that's when I really started looking even more into anime. Now, for getting into specifically retro stuff, because even with AMV Hell... It was a lot of 90s and early 2000s stuff. So it's like, yeah, it's old now. But at the time, it was kind of relevant. Yeah. Um, but with the old stuff, and I think this ties into one of your other questions, was, um, I mean, funny enough, it, it wasn't really until 2010. And in 2010, I am a, I'm a junior in high school at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was watching this YouTuber I liked. He was doing a Let's Play And he did a bunch of different Let's Plays, but this one he was doing one of the Super Robot Wars games. It was actually the Mm -hmm. one that came out right before Super Robot Wars L. And that has a lot of retro anime characters in it. And this this Let's Player, I I forget his name, but he knew a lot about these shows. He was like, he was like, oh, this character's from Combatler V. And uh, he he was there were Tekaman Blade characters and he would talk about all the differences between Tekaman Blade and the Technoman English dub where he'd be like, yeah, these two characters here, they're called this and this, but in the dub, they're called Ringo and Star. And he would, and I was like, this is so informative. Um, And he was talking about how like Super Robot Wars L was coming out and all the new shows he was excited to see get introduced through that one. Um, And so I remember looking up Super Robot Wars L, I found a video that was um, every opening to an anime that appears in Super Robot Wars L. And it, it was mostly a bunch of retro titles. Um, and and my interpretation from watching that guy's Let's Play was that like, oh, if you're an anime fan, you just happen, you you should know all these stuff, right? <laughs> I'm like, the fact that I didn't know what Combatler V was, I was like, oh, I'm an idiot. I must have been like completely, you know, in 2010, not knowing what Combatler V is. What an idiot. Um, but yeah, and one of the shows that gets introduced, one of the series that gets introduced in Super Robot Wars L is Ixer One, mm. and oh, yeah. I'm I'm watching that compilation of openings now. Ixer One doesn't have a traditional anime opening, but there right. was a Japanese guy who made a, a mock opening. I think they're called Mads or Mads. Yeah, yeah. Where he took like Sakuga clips, put them, put the theme song to it, and made an opening where he even imposed credits over the footage to make it look like a real opening. And I thought that was so cool. Um, I even did that with Megazone 2-3, which a lot of people have misinterpreted as the real opening. The real opening. As if Megazone... Yeah, as if Megazone 2-3 was a series and not a movie. But uh, with that Ixer 1 one, I was like, oh, that's so cool. And so that made me look up Ixer 1. And I looked up Ixer 1. It was subtitled in, on YouTube. It was only three episodes. I watched through it subbed. Um, and through getting into Ixer 1 that way, I found like 
a whole community almost of people that grew up with Ixer One. Because when you read comments of Ixer One, you see stuff like this Megazone and Robotech were my childhood. And I'm like, okay, well, I'll look those up. It was it was all comments saying this Megazone, Bubblegum Crisis, uh, uh, Robotech. And those were all shows that kept getting mentioned in these comments of shows that were similar. And that was what I went to. I started looking up that. I started looking up Megazone 2-3, Bubblegum Crisis, uh, Robotech. And I just, those were just shows I got into. And I really liked those. And those, they hit at just the right time where I was, a teenager, I was, you know, I wanted to find something that was unique and and I found those shows just like they hit at just the right time. Uh, so you're saying they groomed you? Yeah, yeah. No, I was groomed uh, by a bunch of Let's Players and Japanese YouTube comments, which, you know, that's that's how it happens sometimes. It's really funny. When you said I was watching a Let's Player in 2010, I was like, please don't say Chugga Conroy. <laughs> That let's was, play with Chugga Conroy. It was like, oh, yeah, and no. he just he kept talking about their shoes, and I was like, oh, these characters must have really interesting shoes. <laughs> oh, wow, huh? I never really paid attention to their feet before. Yeah, that I. Oh, it's, it's interesting because that's like a lot of people's like kind of sequence, right? They get they got into like at least when they're in the older stuff, they got into like Robotech first, and then they got into like other stuff around it. Uh. I got into it that way, but like it wasn't like it wasn't like that. Like, cause like I got into I didn't start really watching like retro anime, um, like stuff that was like in the 80s or whatever until gosh, probably like 2015. And then I started I mean, I'd watched like older stuff, right? Because I was into anime like in the 2000s, right, but it right. just wasn't older then. It was just like it just was whatever was out. Yeah. Um but I didn't get into like old, like actually watching older stuff, like seeking it out until then. Um, and I got into like, like Macross ended up being my entry level, like my entry point into that because like it, it just was like so easily digestible that like once I watched that, it was like, oh, now I can get into like Gundam or Rose of Versailles or something. Like it's no problem now. <laughs> I, I don't know if there's like, if it's just like a, a, a storytelling convention or like a, the visuals, I don't know what it is about the cross that makes it kind of like good for that. But a lot of people seem to have that kind of same kind of springboard. Um, obviously, like X or one would be even better because <laughs> like it looks like a fucking movie. It does. Yeah. Um, like getting you into something like from the from the 80s that is not uh, like Dragon Ball or Akira, basically. Yeah. Uh, would you say that you, you kind of are drawn just in general to like retro stuff or more so to like mecca well i i think retro stuff generally um my, my thing is that like while i do really like mecca anime i the reason why i talk about it so much is because i feel like i'm forced to white knight for it because of just this weird sentiment in the western fan base surrounding it mm. oh you um, mean that mecca's dead <laughs> that, that mecca is dead that it's just all of it's all mindless robot fights um it's all just it's, to it's, sell it's toys. Like, I, yeah, I, yeah, where it's just stupid robots made to sell toys. Um, and it's like, I, I didn't even get into Gundam until 2013, which at that point I'm 19 or 20 years old. Uh, I had watched Gundam Wing and G Gundam on Toonami, but I'd never gotten into Universal Century stuff. Um, hmm. And then when I moved to Ohio, I met friends who were super into Universal Century Gundam and they knew all the lore and I felt left out. So I was like, well, I got to start. And watching the original Mobile Suit Gundam was incredible because I always talk about how it 
you know, I've seen anime from the 70s where, yeah, it is a little dated. Yeah, the storytelling conventions don't always hold up. Gundam doesn't feel that way. Gundam feels so poignant today. Hmm. It's a show where the characters still resonate and it doesn't, quote unquote, feel old. Um, and so I, I, you know, when I got on Twitter and there's just people throwing Gundam under the bus, like Universal Century Gundam under the bus as if it's like, uh, I'm trying to think what's a comparison, something like, you know, I used to use Transformers as the example where it's like in the West where it's just kind of like, uh, kind of almost the story doesn't really make sense and it is just to sell toys. People have been coming at me and telling me like, no, Transformers is does have good storytelling. I'll need to check out Transformers for myself. Um, but yeah, that was there was this weird conceit that Gundam wasn't like didn't have such powerful storytelling, and and that extended almost to other mecha anime as well. Uh, and I always felt the need to white knight for it, and that that's why I've always you know I, I may have talked about mecha even more than I when I, when I really like a lot of shows. You know, I'll watch I'll really watch anything if it has a compelling story. But I've always had to, t you know, put my put my neck on the line for Mecca mm -hmm. because of this weird connotation it has in the in the Western fan base, mostly from people who haven't watched or experienced any of those shows. That's always the yeah. fun part where it's like they say this, but then they haven't seen any of it. Right. That's right. And that's that's why I I don't feel bad calling out uh, Giguk or anime every day in my one mecha video because for I mean for one Giguk didn't even write his video his video has a credited writer on it um, so it, it, whoever that writer was is the one that you know maybe should have uh, done a little more research and then on anime every day who I don't know what happened to him he seems to have sold his YouTube channel I don't know if you guys I, noticed yeah but I have no idea what's going on with he, anime every day he, he's it, it like I, he hasn't confirmed it but he seems to have sold his YouTube channel to someone uh, so I, I don't know what, what his deal was. His stuff was always very like, uh, it's like, okay, I see what you're trying to go for. You got some stuff about anime history, but then there's also like some almost like trying to white knight for shows that he didn't experience really, you know, stuff right, like, yeah. And it's like, it's like, okay, I'm glad you're trying to like talk about how like, you know, old magical girl shows and old mecha shows are actually worth watching. But then like, he calls Double Zeta Gundam ZZ. Gundam ZZ. <laughs> it's That's like, actually oh. a badass name. ZZ. <laughs> like the sequel to ZZ Top. Yeah, no, she's got legs. They're purely aesthetic. I always say it. <laughs> well, that is that is literally the thing about Mecha. Is their legs are purely aesthetic. Well, it's I'm I'm specifically referencing the Jiang from original Mobile Suit Gundam, where it doesn't have legs, and Char asks why why doesn't it have legs, and the guy says legs are purely aesthetic. Exactly. Yeah, that, you get the same kind of problems with like I think I mentioned it in passing, <laughs> like before we start recording, like with fucking magical girls and the fucking like dark magical girl shit. Like everyone that complains about like dark magical girl stuff doesn't actually watch magical girl stuff, no. or even the dark magical like, girl stuff. Yeah, they don't watch. It. I mean, yeah, like stuff like magical sites not good, but like there, there's like at least ten magical girl shows that are airing every year, and you're not watching the other nine. You're just yeah. complaining about this one. Complain saying, the, like, oh, this they've one ruined or two the genre that aired like years and years ago. It's just like. 
just watch what you're talking about. It's not that hard. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and honestly, I, I've done videos where I follow a, where I like go through a creator's biography and there have been times where I've covered shows that I haven't watched myself, but usually in those cases, I'm not talking about my, I'm not trying to like promote the show. I'm more like talking like with my Toshiro Hirano video, he did, he worked on a lot of shows and I wasn't able to watch all of them. Some of them aren't even subbed. But my only reporting of them is basically what he said he did on those shows. Like when I talk about um, the racing show he worked on where he says, oh, I was only able to do secondary character designs. I drew the cars. Um, I w- It didn't do very well. So I moved on to another project. And it's like, I'm not trying to almost like sell you on a show I haven't seen. <laughs> yeah, that's that's fine. You're not making like widespread, like sweeping statements about like an entire genre you haven't seen. <laughs> Like it's it's fine to talk like in the, especially the context of like someone's uh, filmography, right? Like they're just mm-hmm. like, oh, he made this and he had this to say and this kind of led to this or whatever. Yeah, and, uh, and I'm actually working on a piece on Mizuho Nishikubo, who is um, a, a, a fucking unsung hero in animation from the you know started in the mid '70s up till today. He's still doing stuff. Sure. Um, he was the animation director on Ghost in the Shell. Um, but he directed a lot of projects that failed. But when you watch them now, they're so interesting. They're so fun to watch. I don't know if you guys know California Crisis. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, OVA. yeah. He he wrote and directed that. Um, and he, he also did a bunch of other stuff. And I've just been going through his filmography. And while I don't think it's necessary for me to have watched every single thing he did, I'm actually trying to uh, watch them just to see if I can get gleam any more like additional nuance out of that. So that's why it's been taking me like I'm six months into this. I have about six pages written. Um, and uh, I now have to watch uh, red photon zillion. I've watched the first two episodes, but that's the next project. And, and it's really interesting because red photon zillion is actually similar to how people will say castle of Cagliostro is a Ghibli movie or even Nausicaa is a Ghibli movie, despite yeah. them not being made by Ghibli. Right. You, in the same manner, you can actually say Red Photon Zillion is the first production IG anime. And I think that's really interesting that all the produ- production IG guys got their start there, hmm. including Mamoru Oshii, who's credited on the series under a pseudonym. Is it like, a, is he credited as like Ray Mawara? I know that's like a pseudonym. Yes, yes, that's by. actually it. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. See, I know that because I've seen Talking Head, which is, <laughs> we were talking about Mamoru Oshii. Have you seen much like Mamoru Oshii stuff? Uh, I've seen Ghost in the Shell, and I'm gonna watch Skycrawler, uh, okay? Because because Nishikubo worked on that, but that's after Zillion. That's uh that that's uh that's my that's my forte right there is obscure Mauro Oshi live action movies that exist for some reason. He's been he's been making me watch these last couple of weeks. Yeah, like watching Tachikuichi Retsuda next week. Right, because like, everyone knows Jinro. Everyone knows what Jinro mm-hmm. is. No one has seen like the Red Spectacles or Stray Dog or any of the other mo- any of the other things in the same universe as Jinro. So we've been going through that. I've been thoroughly enjoying it. Mumi's been suffering. I don't know if I'd say <laughs> suffering, but I'm just like these are movies, all right. That's funny. That's interesting because Mamoru Oshii is such a jack of all trades. Where the dude's making live action movies, he's making anime, he's writing books. He's he's uh, directed a yeah. couple of video games somehow for some reason. Yeah, yeah and stage the, play of fucking 
what was it? Tetsujin twenty eight go. Yeah. That's so funny because that's you know Nishikubo uh, talks about he got into anime with not 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 even an interest in animation. He just wanted to create. He wanted to be a creator, and he originally tried to become a musician because his cousin is a was a famous Japanese guitarist. Um, but music didn't work out, and he just wound up getting a job at Tatsunoko. Yeah, and then he just stayed with anime. He he met Mamoru Oshii at Tatsunoko, um, and they just became friends, and they started doing a bunch of projects together. If you're going through Nishikubo's stuff, you'll eventually get to uh, Musashi, The Dream of the Last Samurai. And um, that movie was written by Mamoru Oshii, and it is interesting. <laughs> you'll you'll see what I mean uh, okay. if and when you get to it, because you'll be like, wow, this is really cool. How, how Why has no one like talked about this? It's like this beautifully animated, like black and white, like samurai movie, samurai anime movie. And then you'll find out why no one talks about it really, <laughs> really fast. You'll be like, that was our experience. Oh, <laughs> I get it. I think it within like now. 10 minutes, we were like, oh, oh yeah. that's awesome. Now I'm excited. Yeah. I might bump, you know what? I might bump that up before Zillion now. I, I might put Zillion on hold for a second just to put in a Musashi the last Quick movie. Yeah. Nishikubo's like, uh, filmography is like, Filled with a lot of really good stuff, actually. A lot of stuff that gets, like, overlooked. Yeah, like, we always fucking joke about, uh, or on the cat player. Oh, God. Because that's, uh, the cat is, uh, the main cat that gets played in that one is is voiced by Rei Ayanami. Yeah, Megami Hayashibara, like, which is, it's very strange to watch. It's a very strange OVA in general. I mean, I don't know. I don't know how you come up with the concept of playing a cat like an instrument. Yeah, <laughs> shredding it like a guitar, fingering the pussy. God damn it! I wonder if that's just the euphemism. I wonder if that was just like well, it's based on like a based on like a children's book or something. So I don't think that is the euphemism. Pro- that probably uh, wasn't what they were going for. I mean, you say you say it was based on a children's book as if that would disqualify. I, I would say that that lends credence. God to damn it! it. <laughs> all these fucking like kids properties like throw all this fucking shit in there to like as like a nod to adults it's just like what the fuck uh yeah um, definitely a very like underrated uh director uh when it comes in anime i'd say he's directed like a lot of stuff that movie and i like uh, ag ag's really good like, ag Fox was fucking OVA. good uh, video uh, girl i is fucking goaded i <laughs> we fucking loved that one yeah uh, video Definitely coming at some point on that one. Yes, eventually. <laughs> it may or may not have been mentioned in a, a video that I may or may not be working on for the last four months. <laughs> Kurosawa syndrome was good. That was like one that I've not really heard a lot of people talk about, but yeah, and and you know what? I I've uh that one was crazy because it came out and it flopped so hard. And they were like, well, maybe it's because we incorporated these live action scenes. Let's just re-release it without the live action scenes. And so they did it again, and it still flopped. And they're oh. like, "Well, I guess it wasn't the live action scenes." <laughs> yeah, it's it's. I, don't, I can see why it might because, like, subject matter wise, especially. Oh, especially what, what year was that come out? Nineteen eighty six. That that was eighty five, and and yeah, I think it's the first. It's the earliest instance I can think of where an anime mentions abortion. Yeah, it. Uh, I can. I could see why it might not have done great, but it's still good. Like, it definitely like. Oh especially yeah, especially now. It's, such a vibe honestly like 
and and you know i really wanted to use a lot of uh jim steinbeck music because you know jim steinbeck was the guy who wrote the music for meatloaf and i feel like that 80s you know the meatloaf the bonnie tyler that kind of music fits nishikuba's vibe so much and that's mm. a vibe i love i love that music and uh and, and i love that feel i know it sounds like a similar thing to like uh california crisis because you watch california crisis and that first episode just ends and there's nothing else and i think i remember reading something from like that uh fred Patton, where they were planning on doing like a second episode but the first episode did so poorly they just it just yeah completely fell through so you get oh oh yeah 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 the producers were like yeah this isn't gonna work and nishikubo had to move on he was you know he he is someone who despite a lot of his projects failing had a lot of friends and a lot of people who valued him as a director mm. um which was great to see i mean he direct he after california crisis he would direct the digital devil saga or digital devil story i forget they're two different things but digital devil story ova mm-hmm. and uh actually aya nishitani the author of the book I, I i reached out to him on twitter and he was saying how he thinks nishikuba is a great director mm-hmm. and i thought that was really interesting to see yeah he's definitely been I mean, he's still he did Giovanni's Island back in like 2014. I guess this is his most recent credit. In anime. Yeah, and he that was director credits highly on Vlad Love uh, episode director. Yeah, credits. I was gonna I was gonna say he did work on Vlad Love. I think that was his actual most recent credit. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I guess I'm just looking at like fucking main director, like main director, well, I mean, or whatever. Fuck yeah. Well, because it's, it's funny because like on Mamoru Oshii stuff, he he also just has like unit director credits, which. I'm not entirely sure what it means. From what I understand, it basically means he was handling like a lot of like the visual stuff in it uh, more so than Oshi because uh, Oshi f- self-admittedly cannot draw, it turns out. So I think that was <laughs> oh, like, I, be- like, I believe it where like a lot of his responsibilities like fall, which is why there's like a sort of like um like a visual through line between like Pat Labor to to Ghost in the Shell to Innocence. Yeah, actually, Mamoru Oshii, I mean, this this comes up in my video where uh, Nishikubo and Oshii came into Tatsunoko a little bit or almost around the same time. Oshii was a little later, mm. but um, Nishikubo didn't really draw either. Um, he just got uh, Tatsunoko was so desperate for workers that they were hiring anyone they could to do writing and directing on shows huh. um, just be, just because they needed staff. That's kind of crazy to think about. I mean, I guess that is still kind of the case in the anime industry. So, um, even, oh, yeah. Maybe even more so now, it turns out. But I don't think they're really handing out director credits as much. It's more so like, can you do layouts for us, please? Yeah. Can, can you, you do draw like, five so, pictures? Yeah. yeah like, like there are some storyboarders who can't draw very well. Uh, I mean, Tomino has been known to storyboard some shows. And he is, while well, he, he has said he doesn't draw well, he... Doesn't give himself enough credit, I'll say. <laughs> I've, um, seen, I've seen some of his storyboards. They're not, yeah, they're not like Akiyuki Shinbo completely incomprehensible. What am I looking at? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and also like, oh, what was I going to say now? Um, I would say Isao Takahara is like, like the most famous example probably of like a very prominent anime director who cannot draw. It's just, it's so, it's so strange to think about. I mean, it makes sense. When you think about like the production aspect of anime and in terms of like, okay, well, I guess a director doesn't technically need to draw. They're just going to be very reliant on like their animation director and like all these other people around them much more than so yeah. than if they could draw. Um, but it's it's kind of crazy to think, yeah, you can just like reach to like 
that level of success in the anime industry and then also yet not really be a very talented illustrator or animator. Didn't Tomino storyboard some of the episodes of like Hakage no An? Yeah, he did. He did some like World Masterpiece Theater stuff. Um, it's, they were like it's, actually good. He he did he did work on uh, uh, Anne of Green Gables, but I I think he even worked more on Heidi. I think he even directed episodes of Heidi. Uh, from what yeah. I understand, though, uh, you can find storyboards he's done uh, for I think at least Anne uh, online. But there's like speculation as to whether or not like uh, like Takahata or maybe even Miyazaki would have like been like touching up those storyboards to make them a little bit more legible. Possibly, but they mm-hmm. they definitely do look like Gundam storyboards. Mm. Like, in terms of like framing, they have I same, see that, yeah. Yeah, same conventions and stuff that he, he would do on his later stuff. Um, John, you were one of the few people that have, I've seen that seen Miyuki. Would you recommend that? Honestly, well, are you talking about because it's uh, Nishikubo directed? Funny yeah. enough, funny enough, I watched Miyuki before I had this plan to do a Nishikubo video. Um I, you know, I found Miyuki 2011, 2012, just because I found the opening on YouTube and I love the opening and I love the opening for so long. And I, I just, you know, it, it was something where I think a couple of years ago, I was just like, I really like that opening. I should watch that show. And I, I looked it up and I was happy to find it had been entirely fan subbed. Um, I, I had known about Touch, which is Mitsuru Adachi's like big, probably his biggest, most well-known work. Yeah. Um, and so I just downloaded Miyuki and I, I started watching it and I, I enjoy the earlier episodes. I do think it falls off and becomes a little too episodic where, OK, I don't feel like the characters are growing anymore. You know, you reach a point, I would say, around episode 20, late 20s, where it feels like the characters stop growing, uh, probably. uh I forget his name. I think his name is Ryuji. He's the friend who, even though he's in high school, he has a mustache. Um, but there's a point where he has an episode dedicated to him where he has to take a test. But he uh, he he works so hard studying, staying up studying, that when it comes time to take the test, he falls asleep and fails the test. And he gets kicked out of school. And he has a whole thing where he's so depressed that a guy tries to rob him and he doesn't even care. So he stops the robber because he doesn't care if he dies. He runs into like a burning building to save a person because he doesn't care if he dies. He convinces <laughs> another person not to commit suicide because he's like, your life is so much better than mine. You have no reason to stop. And then at, at the end of the episode, they bring him, they invite him back into school because it was like, you did all these incredible things in one day. Uh, you know, it we're honored to have a student like you. Um <laughs> And I, I thought that was a great episode. I love that episode and I love that character. But I feel like after that, there's no major character growths. There's a couple of fun bits where like they meet a Canadian and Miyuki has to speak English to him. And it's crazy that the actress who played Miyuki, who wasn't even an actual actress, she was an idol. Um, mm, that she speaks. Case, yeah, she she speaks better English than the actor <laughs> playing the Canadian guy oh, who, no. has, who is known for playing foreigners. Um, in anime and I thought that was crazy that her English was better than his but uh, the show kind of falls off and I do talk about in my Nishikubo video how unfortunately after six months the show got into a ratings battle with Captain Tsubasa and the ratings just dropped off hard and they had to cancel the show early and I, I do feel like you can kind of feel it in the production of the show that it starts to fall off around that time mm. Yeah, I had I did see that you started what you well you started. You're you're about like a third of the way through touch now. 
Um, how would you how would you say that they kind of compare to each other? Because I have seen Touch. Touch was incredible. I, you know, there's a major twist at episode 25, and I didn't know what that twist was. I was going in thinking the twist is going to be that Minami, who is always spending time with the the brother Kazuya, is going to secretly reveal that, oh, even though I like Kazuya, uh, you know, we're just friends, and I really like you, Takuya. And that's kind of laid on a little heavy, and so I'm like, why is it a twist? She's kind of outright, almost outright saying it at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and and she even gives him a kiss around episode 17. And so I'm like, what kind of twist is this that she loves? She actually loves Takuya when it's like it's laid on so heavily. Why do people talk about this being a twist? And then when I got to episode 25 and uh, spoil, I guess you should put like a time code that people can skip for the, the, the touch spoiler. Uh, <laughs> uh, Karuna, when can they skip to you to avoid the touch spoilers? Are you fucking serious right now? It's a nearly 40 fucking year old show. I guess if you absolutely don't want to hear any spoilers for Touch, skip to 55 minutes and 32 seconds. Ty's going to be putting his fingers in his ears. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Step away from the mic. Uh, I have to edit this anyway. <laughs> oh, no. Well, the, it's, the it's spo- fine. Okay. I think I might know what you're talking about anyway. The spoiler is that Kazuya gets killed. Yeah. And, yeah oh, my yeah. And, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And then Takuya, whose whole character has been that, you know, Minami has mentioned how, like, you know, when we when Takuya and Kazuya were kids, Takuya was always the best at everything. And Kazuya had to work hard just to reach Takuya's level. And now that they're teenagers, Kazuya still works hard at everything. And that's why everyone likes him and and all the girls find him attractive. All the guys want to be friends with him. Takuya became apathetic. He's lazy. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't have any ambition. Um, And even though him and Kazuya look so similar, he doesn't get that same response from people. Girls don't want to be with Takuya. Guys, you know, cool guys don't want to be friends with Takuya um, because he just doesn't have that ambition. He doesn't have that. He doesn't try hard at things. And when Kazuya dies, Takuya then decides that he is going to take on Kazuya's dream of leading the baseball team to the Kyoshin. And now he does have something. He has an, an, an ambition. He does have something to work hard for. And he's just starts improving himself. And we, and we, you know, it's, there's so it's, it's so powerful. I felt, I feel like a lot of shows will have a twist that changes the narrative, but after the impact of that twist, they can't live up to it. Hmm. I was talking about Oshinoko having a twist, you know, where yeah. it, it's it's basically an episode three, but the first episode is an hour the and a half long. An hour they, long, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they didn't want to spoil it for anime onlys, right? But I, while I liked Oshinoko, I feel like there's no point later on that lives up to that moment where they do the twist. Hmm. Touch, yeah. touch just keeps going mm-hmm. because you have all this emotional baggage of all these characters who loved Kazuya and now are are. While Takia is trying to carry his dream, there's also friends that are like, you're just trying to replace Kazuya and 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 you can't just you can't just throw him away and try to become him. And and I love that dynamic. It's it's so powerful and I've loved touch. I'm again, I'm only 40 episodes in, which the show is 101 episodes, so I'm only about halfway there. But I, I think it does a good job of getting over that hump of, okay, we've done our big twist. Can we keep delivering? And, you know, Touch does it. Where I a lot of part other shows of that, I think part of that is like how kind of maturely it handled its twist. 
because it, it handles it appropriately. Whereas I feel like Oshinoko kind of like sells the farm on on its twist, and it's like overly poignant. Um, what's what's the word you like to use, Sai? Uh, cloying. For, uh, clo- uh, cloying. Yes. <laughs> uh, like it, it really tries to ham up uh, the the twist, and she's like, I has like a thirty minute you know dying speech and all that. Uh, whereas I touch, it just kind of happens. Yeah, and I mean, like he's just processing it like quietly. Like it's not like he doesn't get this like touching goodbye. It's just kind of like, oh yeah, oh here he is. The whole episode. I watched that episode. Uh, the way I've been watching Touch um, is that I watch at least two episodes a day when I go to the gym. I'll put the I'll put the episode on my phone and I'll just walk on the treadmill and watch two episodes of Touch. And I. My first episode was episode 25 and I put it on and I'm just walking on the treadmill. I'm in public surrounded by people and it just <laughs> the the Kazuya walks out the door and disappears into the light. And I went, that's weird. What is he going to die? And then <laughs> the whole episode, it's just like it just cuts to a shot of a cicada and it's just panning out as you hear the cicada sound. And I'm like whoa this is like really sensory and then it cuts to a railroad crossing and you just hear the loud clang of the railroad crossing and then it just cuts to takia walking down the street and you hear all the crowd the crowd murmuring and you hear like the sirens and the 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 ambulance sirens and the horns honking and he does and he's just like oh that's that's weird a lot of traffic today and they're just hammering it into you and i literally went through the five stages of loss watching this episode where i'm like they're not going to kill him. This is misdirection. This isn't, you know, they're trying to, you know, they're laying it on heavy. Blah, blah, blah. And then when he gets to the field and they're like, oh, it's Kazuya. And then they go up and it's like, oh, no, you're his brother. What? Where's Kazuya? And he's like, oh, Kazuya's not here. He should be here. And I'm like, he's he's going to be injured. Right. right. He's just going to be injured. Right. He, That's he, slow he, realization <laughs> you come to. Or something. And, and you over the course of this whole episode where you're convincing yourself, is he dead? And, and at first you're like, nope, it's misdirection. It didn't happen. Then you're like, well, he's just going to be injured. He's just he's going to be injured. And that's going to be the drama. And then just like slowly the, the threat. They never say it for the whole episode. And to episode 26 is when they finally reveal it. But by episode 25, you know it, but you're convincing yourself you don't. Yeah. Um, he's not just like a pool of his own blood. Giving yeah. His speech to Tatsuya. <laughs> No, and I love when they when they pull back the thing and it, and he he looks perfectly fine, but he's just his eyes are closed. And Takuya even has a line where he says, uh, like, even in death, he's trying to look cool or something like that because he has like no injuries on him. Yeah, it's I I feel like they handle like pathos moments like that differently in like older shows than they do, like uh, even like two thousand shows, two thousands and onwards. Mm-hmm. Like um, eight simple and rules. I do, I, Yes, yeah, where John Ritter died, exactly. Yeah, that was weird. Okay, I'm glad you re- you know about that. Moon, do you know about Eight Simple Rules? No, I don't. It's I a, don't know it was like a, like a sitcom um, where, like, season one is, like, a fairly, like, normal, like, don't date my daughter sitcom, uh, and John Ritter John, plays and, the dad. Yeah, yeah, and, he, and, you know, and he wasn't an old man. He was, no, like, 45. No, he was, like, really young, yeah. <laughs> so like John Ritter died between season one and two, yeah, at the age of fifty four. And fifty four, yeah. The way season two basically starts, um, or maybe it's partway through season two, I don't remember. But they just kill off his character, and the show gets really fucking depressing for a while. Yeah, but yeah, then you introduce David Spade, and everyone laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, because he he died in real life unex- completely unexpectedly. Yeah. And yeah. and they literally just do an episode where he like he went out for batteries and yeah. he didn't come back. Yep. And it's like, oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. They, they just deal with that. This this there's no like a uh, like canned laughter for any of those episodes. There's no there's no audience component at all because it would be completely inappropriate. Well, I feel like that, like that kind of like presentation is so much like more true to life. Right. Mm, yeah. Like, people oh, will yeah. like leave and die. Like, yeah, you'll get people that have like an illness or something. And then like that's like a completely different fucking situation. Like that's like when they're on their deathbed. A lot of the times it's almost like it can almost become like welcomed sometimes. Cause it's just been like such like, a grueling fucking you, you, process. For you've them. had, you've had time to confront it at least. Yeah. Well, you had to kind of confront it. And then like, you're just in like agony and suffering a lot of time anyway, just depending on like what it is. Um, it's not usually like something happens. You have like 30, 40 minutes to like say your goodbyes to make peace with shit mm. and then die. Like <laughs> it, it, it didn't happen that way. It's usually like, someone leaves and you just expect to see them again you know there's no thought of like oh i need to like make sure i say my goodbye because this could be the last time i see them you just take it for granted and then they're just gone yeah have Um, have have either of you seen the movie i want to eat your pancreas no no that's kind of what that's like because the premise of the movie is like she's dying of some unspecified illness with her pancreas or something so it's kind of like that that's why she wants to eat it well, yeah, because the idea is like if you if you want to like like heal someone, if you want to heal an illness with your organ or whatever, you eat someone else's. So that's like the idea. I don't I don't know if that works. You know, I, I, I've tried it a few times. I uh, me, me, too, me too. I've had varying levels of success, though. <laughs> oh, you've had some success, though. Uh, all right, debatably. Well, we'll have to we'll have to after this. We'll have to yeah, compare no, notes. Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, <laughs> I don't know what is, what is this podcast rated? Uh, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, okay, I was gonna rated. I was gonna talk about when I ate someone's testicles and then my uh, my cum output just tripled. Oh, like, did it really? Okay, and I, and and I don't know if that's because I was so horny because of the the eating testicles was so hot, <laughs> or if I was gaining the vitality of this man's testicles, you, you or know? you're just absorbing his cum. All right, so it's yes. Like, what we need to do is we need to run like a test. With DNA in order to determine how much percentage of your cum is actually yours. No, I think I think it's much easier than this. Like, has this been a sustained change, or, or was this a one-time event? Mm, I haven't come in twelve years, so it's hard to tell. Uh, well, probably not. Then. It probably didn't really help all that much. Yeah, it has like diminishing returns over. It's like a, it's like a, like a <laughs> character who needs to like kill people in order to stay alive. You just need to constantly be eating other people's testicles in order in order to stay alive. Try not to come. Try <laughs> not testicles. There's Jesus definitely Christ like Christ. a manga like that out there somewhere. I almost guarantee it. Someone's gonna have a huge amount of total whiplash. So he just went from like talking about the, the emotional death and touch to fucking the eating testicles for fucking auto. What is, what is the term for that? It's not auto. Uh, what? I don't remember the term. Oh, like auto cannibalism. That's that's eating yourself. That's eating yourself. It's just cannibalism if you're eating someone else, Mumi. No, but I mean like canophilia. It's like that's probably like there has to be a term for like getting off sexually to eating somebody. Oh, probably yeah. If there's any cannibals in the chat, can you let us know? Yeah. yeah if you're if you are a cannibal, please uh, please leave a comment, <laughs> like and subscribe, join the Discord. 
check out the Patreon. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Um, yeah, the, so you, you've seen Orange Road. Have you seen uh, Meisou Nikoku? I haven't. I've only seen... I saw you list out here the big three. Yeah, um, the big the big romantic three yeah. of uh, 1987-ish. I've only seen... I see you listed Orange Road and Meisou Koku. What's the third? Touch. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, then, touch yeah. is the third one. Okay, so yeah, I've seen I've seen Kimigori Orange Road, forty episodes into Touch. Um, not seen Maisani Koku. I was I was curious what your favorite of the three is, but I guess if uh, you if you haven't seen Maisani Koku, uh, it's two. I would I would say so Touch has surpassed Kimigori Orange Road for me. Kimigori Orange Road was a fun watch. Um, I think the issue I have is that it it's very much a will they won't they kind of show, and those shows when they go on too long, sort of lose me. It has a lot of fun stories because it's it's very episodic. And so you get like fun stories where it's like, oh, today uh, Kiyosuke has to win a skateboard contest, you know? Um, yeah. and, and those are fun to watch. But I think that the uh, character, you know, relationships kind of, it kind of wore on me where it was like, I, I felt like, it's like, okay, come on, quit dragging Hikaru along and just like get this over with. Um, that I was, was like, how- I are going to love Mason Dekoku. <laughs> Oh, I, <laughs> uh, I probably will, but, um, yeah. And, and I think that like the high, the emotional high point for me with Kimiguri Orange Road was probably the episode where Hikaru starts dressing more like Madoku, Madoku, <laughs> Madoka. Madoka. <laughs> I'm a big Orange Road fan. I know all their names. I know Kosuki and Madoku and Kosuki. <laughs> No, see now you're just doing the fucking uh, Maduka Maguka bit. Yeah, Maguka. being Maguka, being Maduka is suffering. William Tao's <laughs> listening to this and just he's just putting his face in his hands like, oh. <laughs> Ever since I got this surgery, I can't fucking talk right. <laughs> I, I keep fucking up these words that I used to be able to say perfectly fine. But uh, but with Maduka, um, so Hikaru is trying to be more like Maduka. And uh, and and Kiyosuke is actually now responding to her where he's like, oh, I'm actively like interested in you now. And they go to a concert together and there's a scene where Kiyosuke accidentally calls her Madoka and it all yeah. like all the emotional impact of that hits her at once. And she just starts crying. And I was like, I felt that that's like uh, that. That was the the emotional high point of Kimigori Orange Road for me. And that happens only around episode 17 of a 48 episode show plus the OVAs. Um I like the ending where they introduce a sci-fi. Well, I, I introduce a sci-fi element. The main character's psychic, um, but they they, <laughs> they they start going hard at the end. Where his, uh, I guess I shouldn't say they start going hard because there there's a body swap episode. Um, I felt like time travel was an escalation, though. They introduced okay. time travel, and I felt like that was an escalation of the psychic stuff they had done previously. Um, and I thought that that was a fun finale. You definitely do need to watch the OVAs, which I haven't seen yet. I was, uh, um, you know, I, I use Mal because I'm very ADHD and I'll start watching a series, get a couple episodes in and then pick up another series, do mm-hmm. a couple episodes. And when I when I first made my Mal to organize what I was watching, I was watching 45 shows and I was like, OK, we need to cut. We need to narrow this down a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so Freak. I'm at so, 66. <laughs> Oh my goodness, you poor soul. <laughs> right? But, 
I, I was like 45, I need to clean this up. And so I just like, I'm gonna focus on a couple series at a time, watch them and then just mark them as completed. Or if I hate them, if I absolutely hate them, just mark them as dropped. Right. Um, and so I, I finished Kimigori Orange Road and I was like, well, I gotta watch the OVAs next. But I had like 44 other shows I needed to clear up whether I was gonna keep watching them or drop them. So I moved on to those and I just never found time to jump into the OVAs. I, I Nothing against the series, I'll definitely do it eventually just. I was doing a lot at the time and it kind of passed me by. So would you, what would you say you like about like romance? Cause like I, when I think about orange road and uh touch, like touch, what stood out to me is like more like the brotherly relationship, like their, their dynamic of like, you know, Tatsuya feels like he was, he was kind of in a better position than Kazuya when they were younger. And so that's why he kind of takes on that, that kind of personality of like, you know, holding himself back because he he doesn't want his brother to feel inadequate. Like he didn't want to like overshadow like the amount of effort that his brother does. And his brother learned that effort by trying to keep up with Tatsuya. Mm-hmm. So like you have that like dynamic there um, that I found it interesting that he's like basically having to reconcile like, you know, his brother not being there anymore and him not being having to like hold himself back in a way and kind of do what he wants to do which is basically just kind of following Kazuya's footsteps in a way. Um, meanwhile, like in Orange Road, you have like all these fucking like layers to it where, you know, Hikaru falls in love with uh, Kiyosuke. Kiyosuke. <laughs> too many, we're going around too many different anime. Here. I know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, she falls in love with Kiyosuke because of his, like when he throws the fucking basketball and she basically just falls in love with something that's not him, right? Like, it's not about his personality. It's not about, like, who he is. It's about, like, how he kind of... Like, there's that whole thing at the beginning where he's like, oh, I should have made that basket with my superpowers. And so fucking Madoka would have been impressed and liked me or whatever. And so Hikaru ends up being that because she sees him do it uh, while she's, like, hiding somewhere. And then Madoka actually, like, kind of falls for him for who he is as a person. So you have, like, that kind of contrast of like Hikaru being in love with this image of Kyosuke where Madoka is in love with like Kyosuke who he actually is and you kind of get that with uh Hikaru um you know tr- dressing up like as Madoka because she's basically trying to do the same thing that she thinks Kyosuke because she's in love with the image of Kyosuke so she's like oh well, he'll fall in love with the image of, of me if it's, uh, it's if it's Madoka or whatever um so you got like that going on um, you have kind of the it's almost like the Wonder Years where like it's presented where it's like almost that, in, that, in yeah, he's, like, he's like he's like and that was the summer I found my true love. <laughs> yeah, like because it'll zoom out on like the photos and it turns out later that he he became like a photographer like his dad and all that. So like it it kind of is hinting at the fact that this is like all just like him in recollection, um, kind of narrating his life or whatever. Um, I really liked that. I think that's why I like orange wrote uh, the most of those three is because it's so much more focused. It feels like on kind of like uh, uh, Kyosuke um, kind of growing as like an adolescent, I guess. Um, Basically, Koku has that to a degree with like Godai kind of uh, being like a a wanderer, uh, wandering um, scholar or whatever they call it. And uh, trying to, you know, just, graduate college and all that 
But I, I think it, it resonated more with me in Orange Road, just because like how they are able to like incorporate the visuals and like the production and everything into like that theme. So, well, I guess, <laughs> I guess like why I get into like romance stuff is because of like the stuff that's kind of like built around the romance more so than like the actual romance itself. Um, I do. I am like into uh, Lum and Atsuru's relationship. Um, but like the show is not necessarily carried by like their relationship, right? Like it's, it's more like a co- comedy show. It's called gags. They'll have like episodes about like fucking Atsuru's mom slipping into a different dimension and going through like fucking inception kind of shit. <laughs> Um, it's not just based around the will they, won't they of like Lum and Atoru. And I feel like Orange Road's kind of similar to that for me, I guess. That's a good way to put um, it. Absolutely. Uh, I would say for me and, you know, you can call me a, 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 a what is it called? A sociopath. But for me, I really <laughs> didn't understand the appeal of romance anime or even romance in shows and stuff until I got into my 20s and I started dating for myself i you know because i moved out uh at the age of 19 and you know a couple of months before my 20th birthday i i didn't really start dating or meeting new people like that until i was in my 20s and when i started to do that and i started to realize like you know it's one of those things where it's like oh i understand you know I, I always felt like i was this weirdo who was like kind of isolated and like while i had my friends it's like you know I, I didn't really have a lot of people to relate to and when i put myself out there and started dating i started finding that like everyone really feels that way everyone feels like they're isolated and weird and different and we're all just really trying to find ways to connect with other people and tell me no one hate you right now yeah (laughs) yeah and i felt like i could really the idea of like finding a connection with someone where it's like okay even if we are different people like the, the idea of like really falling in love with someone, it, it, I finally understood the appeal of it once I started dating and once I started having relationships like that. Yeah. Uh, it, you know, it, it's something where it's like you don't need to find someone who's like the exact same person as you, who likes all the same stuff you do, who who is basically a clone of you and thinks exactly like you. It's like, no, it's it's about finding someone where it's like they acknowledge they understand who you are as a person and they like that in you. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think that's why I like the stuff in Usa Yatsura because it just like lets it breathe. Like it's it's not driven by it, so it doesn't have to like drive the plot with the relationship all that often. So like you just get the moments where like Atsuru is just like reading a fucking comic book and like eating potato chips and not looking where his hand is going for the potato chips and like Lum just kind of attentively just like slides the bowl over with her foot so he can reach into the ba- uh the bowl. Like you get like nice little like moments like that that are kind of like reflective of like an actual relationship more so than like you know the draw like just the pure drama of like oh when will they get together? Will they won't they oh are they ever- is the relationship gonna be able to handle this third wheel that has like come and is is kind of home wrecking the relationship all of a sudden it's just like that's not really like reflective of real life all that much yeah and that's like, that's that was one of the things that i liked about macross was i didn't know how macross would end i i assumed that hikaru would get with minmei and i love that they actually was like that they were actually like actually no minmei not a good fit for him um yeah and and then they introduced misa hayase and 
yeah, they they like I mean controversial age gap, but still, uh, I, it's not that much of an age gap, is it? Is she like? It's like I think it's like sixteen and nineteen or something. Maybe she is she, she could is be she, like twenty four. Oh, that's what I thought. I thought she was like early, like to mid twenties, um, based on like her character design and how they act around her. But like, if she's like nineteen, it's like I'll let it pass. I mean, I'll let it pass regardless. I still think it's a great relationship. They 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 clearly you know work with each other really well. Um, yeah. So I was so happy that the, in the end, even though she's like the glamorous, you know, celebrity and it's like you would think like, oh, our hero should get with the celebrity and they should be like this perfect couple. It's like, no, they don't work well together. She's going to go out and uh, have a really horrible life. And Hikaru gets with Misa Hayase and the two just relate more because they have similar goals. They have similar, you know, uh, uh, they have a similar background. They just they get to they work better together. Uh, even even if it isn't as glamorous for him to just, you know, get with someone who he works with, basically, yeah. you know, he doesn't need to get with the superstar. She was 19, by the way. OK, that's not, I, that's not that I, bad. That's not as controversial. She just seems old as fuck. <laughs> and she also has a, she also has an old lady voice in Robotech. Uh, I didn't watch Robotech. I've, I've seen watched. A- I've seen both and uh, I like both of them, even though there are a little, you know. I, I always I always make sure to clarify because there's people who want to act like they're the same thing. I always make sure, like if someone tells me, oh, I'm watching Macross, I'll be like, are you watching actual Macross or Robotech? Both are good, but they are different. <laughs> yeah, and, and I guess in Robotech's case, from what I've heard, it's like, it's it's marginally different, but it is still different. With the Macross stuff, because they used Macross as a base for their universe, the Macross stuff is very much the same. Southern yeah. Cross gets changed the most because Southern Cross didn't even take place on Earth, so they had to do the most changing, and it's the most, like, stretching your imagination um, yeah. to get their points across. And then it goes back into Mospita, which they again do very well actually the most speeda and macro stuff is actually both very good and and pretty close to the originals i'd actually say there's some maybe even some changes in most speeda that i like over the original but those two series in particular came out pretty well southern cross is not a good show to begin with and the robotech version isn't much better i do find it inter- like the only thing that like i would be interested in watching robotech for is the uh the fact that mari Yajima dubs her own voice which in, is in, like that's interesting it, that's, to me. Yeah, not in Robotech, but in the Macross dub. Oh, oh, well, I don't care about Robotech. Yeah, yeah, Macro, <laughs> that's that's so that's the dub with Vic Mignogna as Hikaru. Um, so that is a that is a pretty interesting dub now. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's there's they did fucking. Oh my god, there's there's commentary tracks with Vic Mignogna and Maria Jima, and he's flirting with her the whole time, and it's so awkward. Oh, no. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's so awkward, and she doesn't want to be there. You can tell she doesn't want to be there. Uh, but but Mar-Gima yeah, seems like such a nice person. She is, and she got like she just got like shit on kind of because she moved to New she not New York. She moved to L.A. Uh, I think in the '90s, and she wanted to be an actress and singer in America, which is why she learned English. Uh, but but she just couldn't get any roles, and she's talked about on Facebook how when she's tried to you know try to get acting jobs. They all, because she was Asian and because she had an accent, they'd only want to cast her as a hooker. Oh, oh God. Ugh. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like she got like a couple roles. She she's on a show. She was on a show called Pacific. It, it was like a Baywatch type show where she plays like a Japanese tourist who's like uh, like a wealthy girl from Japan. But she acts very American. 
Uh, and, and it's like, that was a fine role for her. But like, she says that all, all the only roles they want to get her for are like very stereotyped roles. Yeah, that's that's unfortunate. Yeah, she uh, she wrote um, the ending song for Do You Remember Love, uh, Angel's Paint. Oh, yeah, yeah. She wrote, she wrote a couple songs. I mean, even the, the song she sings in episode four when her and Hikaru are like trapped and in, in that like in part of the ship. Um, the song she sings is a song that she actually wrote. Oh, I didn't, actually, I knew she wrote Angel's Paint. I don't know how many she wrote. I didn't know she I thought Angel's Paint was like the first one. Um, but yeah, like she I mean, she Angel's Paint is probably like one of my favorite songs from the series. So the fact that she like. It seems like her stuff would be pretty good. <laughs> I, I have to actually like look into like what other stuff she's done, but and that's that's another issue she's run into in her career is that she's just been like she's only been seen as Minmay, and she's talked about how she was warned not to do the role because if it she's they told her like if this takes off you're going to be seen as Minmay forever, and hmm. she accepted that, but it seems like at at a point she did start to regret that. It seems like she's come around now and she's fine with it, but there was a point where like she was very open on Facebook about how she hated always being seen as Minmay and she like posted on Facebook once I am uh I am not Minmay my name is Mari um yeah and and she would get mad at people asking her about Robotech because she'd say I didn't even work on this show I have nothing to do with Robotech I wasn't in it 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 is weird because like you don't really see that with like other uh like say like say you um and I think it's because it's because she wasn't really a say you she was an idol yeah, she wanted to be a uh, singer, and and that happened with um, fuck, what's her name? The girl who did you and uh, creamy mommy, um, that was basically like her. She she was letting to be an idol. Like her entire career was just made by creamy mommy. But uh, yeah, that was like that interesting kind of like time period where they started incorporating more like idol stuff. Yeah, the po- uh, the post Seiko Matsuda idol boom. Yeah, uh, Uta Takako Uta, I probably butchered that pronunciation but that's close I, enough i've never heard i've watched creamy mammy and i i didn't remember her name so her her voice really like stood out honestly like i was probably like one of my as as far as like vocal performances her her performances like you and uh mommy is probably like one of my favorite um, I, yeah i will say that like you do run into the cases where an idol voices a character and you can tell that they're not an actor i.e miyuki the first time i heard miyuki speak i was like that's not an actor yeah and sometimes that's like actually plays to like the strength of the show because like you like her voice just sounds like a kid's voice like it sounds like mm-hmm. you and it just it fits so fucking well it doesn't sound like just uh someone playing a kid um i think we should clarify for people listening you is creamy mammy's like real name her yeah her we're her, not talking her about you identity. we're not talking about you listening <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I wish I were voiced by Creamy Mommy. <laughs> Me too. I think everyone just does. Creamy Moomy. <laughs> creamy Moomy. <laughs> I guess. I guess since we're on the subject of Macross, we. I guess the question has to be asked: Macross or Gundam? Uh, as a franchise, I'd go with Gundam. Um, my my connection with Macross is really just that I watched it at a very formative time. It's still a great show, and obviously, I have it in my top ten. I still recommend it. And I also I count that as the series that um, if I think I stole this from oh what's his name? The fighting game guy, Justin. What's his name? The guy that lost to Daigo. Uh, Are you talking about Justin Wong? I forget his name. The, the, the fighting games guy. 
Are but, you even uh, listening to me? I always say if aliens came down and were going to blow up the earth, but said that they would leave us alone if we could beat them in an anime trivia contest and <laughs> I and I get to choose what series it would be, I would choose Macross. Uh because that's the series I probably not just like having watched it both through Macross and Robotech, but also just because of the videos I've made, I've researched the series so much. It's been kind of like like the production stuff has just been kind of ingrained in my brain. Um, right. But as as a franchise, I'd go with Gundam. I haven't seen most of the Macross entries. Uh, you know, they're not. I was going to say Macross has had a long issue with not being legally available in the States. Um, but if I really wanted to, I could find ways to watch it. Um, oh yeah. So I shouldn't really count that as a reason, but there, Macross just hasn't gotten the exposure post Robotech because of all the legal issues. So yeah. yeah. And, and also later Macross entries don't have the original cast. And that's always been a thing where it's like, oh, I, you know, I know that like Max and Miria are in, uh, seven and, seven. you know, and I understand that the reason why they do that is because Min may obviously moved to America and, Hikaru's actor passed away um, that they just haven't been that they couldn't really do much with those characters anymore um, I, I've just kind of seen that as like it's an unfortunate circumstance because I, I would have loved to have seen that's what I like about Robotech is that we do get to see a progression with those characters um, but, but yeah. we really don't get to see them grow and change the same way we get to see the characters in Gundam change with new iterations that is, that is it almost is like a strength for Macross in a way that it, it kind of does, is able to like re kind of shape its own image with each iteration. But yeah, it, it is weird that it happened with Macross. Cause like, I feel like Macross is the one that I attached myself to the characters the most between like it and like double seven, uh, Oh, 79. Mm -hmm. Like I, I like Amuro. Okay. But Amuro was Char obviously is like the most, one of the most fucking iconic characters come out of the seventies. Uh, but like I, I didn't really like get as invested in like their character arcs or their, you know, them as characters in general, mm -hmm. as opposed to like Hikaru and like Minmei. Um, so it is weird that like the franchise I did get attached to the characters is the one that just constantly like shed like did never followed up on them like they did in the uh, Universal Century. Um, but yeah, it's it's interesting because it is almost like a strength that it's able to like, you know, you go from the original SDF Macross to Macross Plus, and it's like so drastically different in like tone. It didn't have to like worry about the continuity so much outside of just like the Macross still being there and in, in its middle of town. Yeah, and and that um, was something I found interesting too because there were people. I felt like I've met people who are like, I've only seen Macross Seven, and I'm just a fan of Macross Seven, or or even in the early two thousands that um, I forget her name, the girl from Frontier doing the. Uh, Ronka, yeah, yeah, the Ronka Lee uh, song that she sings—that was a meme. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, I, I fucking remember seeing that before, like while that, I wasn't even watching anime at that I, point. And I remember being like, "How the hell is this from Macross?" Because <laughs> it looks so different. Yeah, like I'll, I, it's weird because like my my entry into uh, Macross actually was Frontier. Oh um, yeah, yeah, because I mean that was a, a one I saw a lot in the two thousands. Yeah, so like when I got into it, I was like, "Oh, I could watch this one," and then like I got into SDF Macross after watching that, um, which I I do appreciate because like if I had watched 
SDF Macross before Frontier, I probably would have liked Frontier as much because mm-hmm. the original Macross does a lot of what Frontier did just better, I feel like. Um, but I, I mean, I did enjoy uh, Frontier and like, I don't know, they kind of just focus more on like the music later on. Um, That's another issue I have where it's like, I understand the music was a huge issue, but it felt more... Um, it, it felt more, maybe I'd, I'd say more culturally poignant because they were dealing with like idle stuff and they do touch on like, okay, yeah, we're, we're taking advantage of, uh, we're making an anime in a post Seiko Matsuda world. So we're going to make a character who's basically Seiko Matsuda. But then they like, they touch on the darker stuff where it's like, well, she's also, you know, her cousin is like an abusive controlling manipulator and, yeah. and, and they think they do all that stuff. I feel like, you know, does the music aspects of later Macross stuff also deal with like something culturally relevant at the time? I feel like there's like a, that that's like a, almost a piece of Japanese history that it's dealing with in, in original Macross. Um, where, I, whereas I know I, frontier, it, sorry, no, I know no, frontier. Go, go um, it kind of touches on like, you know, if you, it, it touches more on like the dating thing, I guess. Cause that's like after, um, Aya Hirana, what's her name? The girl who did uh, Haruhi. That's Aya Hirana, yeah. Aya Hirana, okay. I could I couldn't remember if that was her last name. Or not. I'm, I'm I'm terrible with names. She's, that's, ma- that's she's, she's not only that. She's making a comeback. She's gonna be uh, she's gonna be in One Piece. Yeah, yeah, I heard about that. Um, but yeah, like that was after like the whole Aya Hirano thing, I guess. Um, I don't know. Was it? No, that was. It was around that same time period. So I guess maybe it was like relevant with like other stuff. Okay. But um yeah, they kind of touch on like dating and having like relationships when you are like an idol. So like Ronka's like a rising idol and like uh Cheryl's already an idol, so they're kind of dealing with trying to navigate trying to see Alto in like different ways. Um obviously Ronka doesn't want to be seen with Alto because like she wants to like form a fan base. Uh while Cheryl can't be seen with Alto because she already has a fan base. It's so like it does touch on it like an, that way. I wouldn't say it's really all that like deep or complex, though. It's just kind of a thing. Whereas like Delta, I don't really think they address anything with like idol groups all that much. Um, but it is interesting to see how it like progresses as like a concept where it went from like the very kind of more classical idol with like Minmay to more like the pop idol with uh or like the rock star like with, with the, the like Basara. With the, yeah with the rock stars and then to like idol groups idol groups and even uh even fucking virtual idols with fucking shared apple and plus yeah yeah that's the um, only macross i've seen so i'm like i know that one <laughs> i know that macross that's that's actually one of the better ones too so I did order. I, I did order the uh, the uh, anime ego release for uh, macross too so when that gets shipped out in a year, and I still won't have seen uh, the original Macross, then I'll just I'll just watch Macross too. <laughs> You'll have seen one Macross plus and a non-canon yep. Macross. Uh, it is weird that like Macross two is called Macross two, and it's like, but it's not considered canon by it's, any. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like people overlook it as a result because it's not part of the same continuity technically. I wonder, I've never heard anyone mention it, but like, yeah, it could very easily just be quote unquote the sequel to Do You Remember Love? Because like, Do You Remember Love in universe is basically like the movie Titanic? Yeah. It's, which is it's, like, yeah. 
it's an interesting way to like incorporate that kind of shit, right? Because this is like, this is like a, 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 a dramatized kind of sto- telling of events that happened in universe, but like everyone kind of takes those events as being what actually happened. And so that's why, that's how it explains like that being taken as like the canonical kind of, you know, right. wearing the do you remember love dress and all that mm-hmm. and singing do you remember love and all that as opposed to the TV series because everyone just assumes that was what actually happened, even though that's like the dramatized telling of it. But I think there's something really like interesting. recently to like with like the whole thing of like uh, like Big West and Macross to like canonize Macross too. essentially. I don't know. It's weird. I was talking with someone about it at Otakon in line for a panel and they explained it to me and I was like, damn, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> that's wild i've not seen any macross except plus i don't know how to supply it, yeah i'm just trying to navigate this conversation having like only a fraction of like the necessary knowledge to do so i'm like yeah wow yeah makes it even funnier because plus is literally like the most removed from the entire canon i want to see like the it's dub. still canonical but it's just like it has no characters from the original uh yeah. or any other fucking franchises and it's just like has it doesn't really build off of anything because like just a weird story it's just a, yeah it's just like a side like offshoot like an ai trying so- to take over the world or something <laughs> um i want to see the dub for it though because at least in one of the dubs the main character is voiced by brian cranston mm-hmm. oh yeah you know back when he was doing anime back when dubs. he was doing dubs that's weird to think about yep he went by lee stone i think Oh my god, that's the most That's a perfect porn name. Like anime dub name ever. Anime dub names and porn so, star names. I guess on the topic of Mecca, we can discuss a, a recently controversial topic. Uh is Gundam impossible to start? Yes oh or no? I I don't yeah, I don't understand that because like I said, I got into it in 2013. Um, yeah. I, I like Less Gundam has been produced since 2013 than probably any time in human history. Like, we've gotten, like, G-Reco, Iron-Blooded Orphans, G-Witch, which everyone watched regardless. So, it's yeah. like, okay. The, no, yeah, one got, no one had trouble just, getting yeah. into G-Witch. Um, no one had trouble getting into Iron-Blooded Orphans. It was just playing on Toonami. Yeah. So, I, I don't get it. Um, I, I think that the Trash Taste guys are... Uh, weirdly normie despite watching anime for seemingly 20 years of their lives. Um, their entire life is built around anime. Yes, and 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 I'll say this. I think that they have a great podcast where they talk about the foreigner experience of living in Japan. And I actually think that that's a... They have some great input when talking about like... When they're talking about like, oh, what it's like to live in Japan or what it's like to work in Japan or when they talk about their their other projects. Like, I think Joey's really into he's the one that's like into fashion and Connor's big into like gaming and speed running and stuff. And and they're really great at talking about those topics. It's just unfortunate that they've been kind of pigeonholed into talking about anime because that's what they chose to do 15 years ago. And now right. people come now people come to them as an authority. I think even Joey has said like. I don't want to do anime content because there's people who are better talking, better at talking about it than me. And I think that's like a very noble thing to do is just be like, mm. I admit, like, I'm not an authority. I don't know this shit. Go to go to this guy. He knows more. Yeah. See, I don't I don't know if we would agree that they're good at talking about living in Japan. Either. Oh, OK. <laughs> I was trying like to be they, nice. They, yeah. It, uh, they've, they've said some shit where it's like, what are you saying right now? <laughs> Like, cause like, 
in reality, they're they're pretty insulated by uh, Kodakawa over there. Like, I guess, really yeah, you, they like, do have like the benefit of basically, yeah, being paid to live in Japan in and of itself, which is an interesting thing. Book, uh, what what was it, Geek X that we applied for? Reach out to us. <laughs> we'll play the. Let, let's see, get in touch. I've never, I've never, right. I've never lived in Japan, but like I dated someone that lived in Japan uh, for years. <laughs> so it, it's not that I'm like ignorant of of the subject. Even that, like, you know, if you're working, you know, at schools and Aikawa and stuff, like that's going to be different than yeah. the culture of actually working in like. You know, the salaryman kind of job. Whereas I've had the idea, um, I've had the idea, I don't think I've talked about this in the podcast, but I definitely have on Discord of the Weeb Crew content house in Japan, where we just Weeb buy Crew. we just buy a large house in like rural Japan for dirt cheap because property like it costs less just in general. And the yen is in the ground right now. So we so we buy a house in Japan in the middle of fucking nowhere, some small town, and just make that oh like a fucking content house in the middle of nowhere. That's kind of what Kai's doing. Kind Not of a content house, but I mean he he rented his house, I guess, that he had back at home and True. is currently just living in an apartment that is funded by someone else's rent. Have you been to uh, Japan, John? No, I have not. It's a it's an interesting experience. Like I feel like people should go if they can. Um, obviously, like people's circumstances are gonna be different. Uh, I probably would have never been able to actually make it out there. This <laughs> at least up to this point, had I not dated someone that was living there. Uh, it, it was a uh, it was interesting. <laughs> you can't just go. Especially, you can, I mean- but like it, it costs a lot more money. When you're not just staying at someone else's apartment, I guess that's true. Yeah, you're having to actually pay for a pay for a hotel and stuff. Yeah, uh, but definitely going outside of like Tokyo was was interesting because that's when people actually start talking to you. Oh, interesting! Like you, you start taking pictures with older older Japanese. You, you people start you start wanna... scaring poor old women by just standing <laughs> around. I was going to say, I had a friend who went and he had like visible tattoos and he was surprised that like most younger people were like totally thought his tattoos were totally cool. He was like, yeah, older people still think it's uh, unsightly, but like people were thought it was most young people wanted to take pictures with him. I can huh. see that because like, you know, the younger generations grown up with the Internet, so they're right. Globalized. Yeah. So it, they don't get to see people with tattoos because it's still not socially acceptable because you can't go in like bathhouses and stuff. You mm-hmm. have tattoos still. Um, but like they wouldn't have the stigma against it like uh, the older generation. Right. Yeah. That, that makes sense. I was watching this video the other day. It was like um, a, a schizophrenic bachelor style dating video called like like 20 Japanese women versus one black guy. Uh, I don't know if you guys are the YouTuber Pootie. Go on. Um, but it was very funny because, well, all the women were basically fluent in English anyway, but it was interesting to hear them use like American slang or like just like African-American vernacular English while still speaking with like a Japanese accent. And I'm like, this is a weird confluence of things. Ah, it was, it's an, it's an interesting, they get some interesting characters in there for sure. A lot of the women in that video looked like they could easily kill me. Um, 
When you, when yeah. you say verses, what are, what exactly are they in conflict with? Um, it's not really clear. It's basically just they put. He's like on camera. He's just standing. He's just like chilling there, and then like a woman will walk on camera. He will like say some things or do something, and then they walk off camera. And then he like halfway through the video, he eliminates like half of them. And then the second half of the video is them just sitting in chairs talking like one on one. Like I said, it's like The Bachelor on crack. Is it like a dating game? No, there's no game oh. component. I mean, he's eliminating people. That there's sounds no. Like a... well, the, uh, it's his arbitrary choices, basically. <laughs> Wasn't that every dating game show? Uh, to an extent, but there's usually like questionnaires. You know, like you ask, like like the classic like '70s dating show kind of thing. Where it's like you ask questions. So you're thinking of classic dating shows. I'm thinking of like, uh, was it Bear Attraction or whatever the fuck that like what the British f- dating show is where they just show, they literally start off by showing their genitals and they're like, hmm, see, I don't, I don't like the way his dick like leans to the side. Like, you watch a lot of arbitrary. weird TV, Mumi. <laughs> what do you mean? That's, that's just normal British television. Oh. But yeah, it's interesting that like this idea that like Gundam is like this thing that's impossible to get into because I feel like that's informed almost by like how you can watch anime with the internet because you think about it back in like like late seventies, early eighties when when Gundam was first coming out, that wasn't something you you couldn't really be afforded to just start at episode one. Uh, you it's still or even like watch every episode. Maybe you'd miss a week or whatever, so you'd need to like you just yeah. miss that episode and then. Keep watching with the next one where that's kind of like what those like a lot of these older shows in general uh, were built around, especially before like home media really became a thing for like the middle and uh, late 80s. I was going to say the thing with Gundam is that they even accounted for that where multiple series were created as a way to introduce a new generation to Gundam. Yeah. yeah, Zeta Gundam is made so that the next generation could get into Gundam. And yeah, there's uh, obviously stuff from 79 that carries over, but it's told to you in a way that you can still follow and understand it. Uh, it's just yeah. you get a little extra context if you have seen that series. Same thing with like even in the 90s with Victory Gundam. Victory Gundam was made to be a standalone series that a new generation could get into. Uh And then even in the when all you, you have all the non-universal century shows, which all can be watched on their own with no other uh, prior knowledge. Yeah. Don't say that too loud. All right. Someone's going to try and kill us. I know. I know. This. I know. Trash Chase specifically said they don't want to watch this because they quote unquote won't get the Easter eggs. Uh, what? But it's yeah, but that's fine. <laughs> you don't need to get the Easter eggs. It's OK. What okay. Easter eggs? Ex- like other than well, turn A, you well, might get like one. <laughs> like, but, but in turn A Gundam, he uses shining fingers. I See, haven't, like, I haven't seen G like, Gundam. I won't get the turn Easter a, eggs. Turn A is different because like Turn A is a sequel to every Gundam essentially. But like the end of what, G Gundam, what the fuck secret. The end of G what, Gundam has a Zambot in the end. <laughs> I haven't really? seen Zambot three. I haven't I seen Zambot three. <laughs> I haven't seen the Tomino extended universe. Turn, turn, hey, turn A is literally the only Gundam I can see that argument for because like it's almost and it, it's only to a point right because like it since it's made as like the way to like encompass all of Gundam together there's like a, a nod to every Gundam that had come out up to that point so like it, it kind of 
adds a little bit if you if you are aware of like where each mech that they kind of pull out of the ground came from. You're Is like, that oh, including shit. SD Gundam? Not SD Gundam. Uh, there, well, there are no you, SD Gundams in there are. <laughs> that's that's it. So that's not even. That's not even a spit. That's just like, I don't know what the fuck that is. Because I've only seen like the first half of Witch from Mercury. That's the only Gundam I've seen. And I kind of, there is an SD Gundam version of Romance of the Three Kingdoms. And I just want to watch that and be like, yeah, I watched Gundam before. You should. Like, oh, which I, one? I, oh, you know, the Romance of the Three this. Kingdoms it's one. It's worth the bit. <laughs> it's worth the bit. It's like I've, I've, I've seen I've also wanted to do something similar with Star Wars where I've only seen the Phantom Menace. And I've seen it twice. <laughs> so I just want to watch the Phantom Menace and then like the Ewok movies that came out in the 80s. Hell yeah. I wish yeah, I could I live your Star life. Wars. <laughs> <laughs> I've watched I've watched enough Gundam for the both of us. It's fine. You can it's fine. You can go into the bit. Um, but yeah, like fucking wait. What, I don't know what you're going to miss. Like the fact that fucking the the antagonist of Gundam Wing is somewhat of a char clone like okay who fucking cares like I yeah I we we my friend Ben who I've done a couple he's been on a couple of videos of mine and I've done videos with him it's so funny because he has no knowledge of Gundam he's watched no Gundam and uh when we were living in an apartment uh Chad and I were watching Gundam Wing um but because he only knew Gundam from uh, by ex- the, by extension of us, and we were talking about Universal Century way more. It was so funny when we walk. He walked in on us watching uh, Gundam Wing, and he was like, uh, "He's like, I thought you said." He goes, uh, "I thought you said Char wasn't in this one." And I remember thinking, <laughs> the fact that you confuse Zex for Char is like so based, and you don't even know it because with every American, <laughs> it's the other way around, where they see Char and they think, "Oh, is that supposed to be Zex?" Because that was how it was introduced to us. Uh, he's the sex prequel. Exactly. Listen, listen. How am I going to get the references in Bakugan if I haven't seen the original Gundam? First? How am I supposed to watch Bay Wheels when I haven't seen Metal Fusion? See, you know how they're full of shit <laughs> is because they watched Fully Cooly. It's like, bro, you didn't get the fucking Turn A reference in Fully Cooly. You watched that just or like by. Lucky Star. Yeah, I was gonna say Lucky Star. I rewatched it last year, and I was like, oh my god, how did anyone of my generation understand the jokes that they were making when this came out? They're fucking referencing seventies Tokusatsu left and right, uh, and Galaxy Express three nine, and it's like none of you, none of you people ever watched that shit. <laughs> I was, we were like, what was it? We would have been like fourteen when this came out. It's like you did not understand what Konata was talking about. Yeah, like the, the idea that you can't watch a fucking the entry level remake of Gundam Gundam Seed because you won't get the reference to fucking I don't know an offhand comment made referencing fucking Gundam X like it's fucking stupid like just yeah. don't get the reference like who fucking cares it's like yeah so so the way you watch Gundam is um you just do it you just pick one turn it on watch <laughs> episode one of whatever button. series you want jesus it's very easy well it's like that with um it's interesting too because i have to wonder how much because i see this with like um the way my hero academia is structured is actually very similar as well where it's like every new season mm-hmm. yeah well because every new season starts off with like a recap episode 
that just tells you who all these characters are and what's going on because they're doing it with the mindset that there are going to be people who are starting with this season, essentially. They do that in the in the manga, too, where like the a, a box will pop up and say who the character is and what their power is. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, this, this character has been here since chapter one. Why are we still? Yeah. You don't need to tell me that that guy has electricity powers. I know he has know. electricity powers. Yeah, and it's not there to, like, remind people because they think, like, the audience is dumb. No, it's there for people who are just now seeing this for the first time and they need some sort of context for what's happening. Um, I guess but again, with like some, with stuff like streaming, with because, you know, the way, with the exception of, like, Toonami, the way a lot of people watch anime outside of Japan is through streaming services like Crunchyroll, uh, Netflix, or just, you know, torrenting stuff, p- piracy sites, whatever. A lot, lot less pirating nowadays, but yeah. Yeah. Well, you're, you're like afforded, though, that ability to start from episode one and then binge watch it all the way through. Whereas and you kind of lose the idea that this is like these things are still made with the structure of linear television in mind. And that's something I think a lot of people kind of lose sight of when they complain about like um, uh, stuff like uh, the way like certain shows will start off by like just explaining the premise before the opening every time or doing like a, a previous episode recap uh, when it's like there, there are reasons for that. And it's because of like the medium that you, is being used to disseminate this uh, to broadcast these shows in Japan. Yeah, that's definitely lost. I feel like we've talked about this um, numerous times where it's like the idea that like we watch these online so much that it's just like the context of like how it's actually being aired is lost. It's like, right. This is a TV show that airs at like 3 a.m. in Japan. The, the context like, of there being like commercial breaks and then also like text on screen, like a lot of text on screen. That's how Japanese television works for some reason. Yes, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's the most ADHD thing I've ever seen. Uh, then you watch like videos on like Nico Nico or whatever, and you're like, why the fuck are their comments just g- scrolling like horizontally across the screen? Oh, this have you seen nightmare. some of like their like their like news programs sometimes yeah. where they like yeah. are watching like trailers or like movie trailers and like people's reactions are in the corner? Yeah, they they pioneered the TikTok style of people just like, yeah, let's get a comedian to react to this thing. Yeah, fucking crazy. Like you watch it in Japan, like I, I I don't speak enough Japanese to be able to understand what the fuck they're talking about. But the fact that they're just like so fucking like surprised and shocked at this dude showing up on screen. I'm just like, damn, I need to know what's fucking happening. <laughs> it ropes you in. See, it's working. <laughs> they they got see that, that's the problem. Thumbnails with like the the soy jack like open mouth thing on YouTube from the West is bad. <laughs> But do it with Japan. That was good. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of you kind of mentioned you've been doing videos with like friends of yours, and I know in one of your videos you mentioned like that your um, Ixer One uh, parody mm-hmm. was how you met a lot of your friends. Yeah. You, would you would you want to elaborate on that, Eddie? Because that's kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, in. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, I wanted to make abridged videos because I like the idea of I, I always liked parody dubs um, when I was, you know, mm-hmm. I was in high school at the time. And um, I, I always just found it like the editing to be a bit daunting. But I decided to like, ah, I'll 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 just learn it. I'll learn it. And so mm-hmm. I, I downloaded I started with using just free editing software. And then I, I started getting free editing software that is 
only free because I stole it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, you know, there was a, I actually, what my first drive was, was uh, uh, two abridgers, uh, Lord Moonstone and Zero Style, as they were known at the time, hosted a contest where it was like, you have one month to make an abridged video. Go ahead and, and make it a reply to this. And I was like, okay, you know, that's the push I needed. And I, I made Fight Extra 1 abridged episode one. I entered it into the contest. Um, at the end of that month, they actually called me up on Skype. This would have been 20, uh, January of 2011. They they called me up on Skype and said, hey, John, uh, we just wanted to let you know we saw your video. We thought it was really funny. Uh, we got like 200 entries and they all suck, but yours made us laugh. So we wanted to call you and let you know. <laughs> and uh, and I was like, oh, that's 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 so cool. And and I started talking to those guys and, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm still friends with them to this day. But um, my friends who are my roommates now, um, I met them a little bit later. I met Chad because Chad was friends with Kieran. So it was like an association thing where like he messaged me once and was like, hey, Kieran showed me your video. He saw it said you entered the contest. I thought it was pretty funny. And him and I started talking. And while uh, uh, Lord Moonstone and Zero Style were in their 20s already, I was 17 and Chad was the same age. He was 17, too. And we were both in our last year of high school. So. We started talking through that and that's how we got to know each other. Um, so, yeah, I, I made I, we, we all made a bridge videos together and, and that was just how we got to know each other. In 2013, circumstances led to us. Um, Chad had to move out on his own. So he actually moved out uh, to, to live with Zero Style. That was our friend Greg uh, lived with him for a little bit. But then he was like, oh, cause our friend Greg got engaged and he was like, yeah, I'm going to start living with my girlfriend. So Chad needed a roommate and I was 20 at this point, 19 turning 20. And I was like, I I don't like living with my parents and I cannot find a decent job in New York. I was working for my dad. I, I didn't have like, uh, you know, I wasn't going to school anymore. And, you know, it was like, where can I go in New York? Everything is too expensive and I can't find a job. So I was like, yeah, yeah I'll, and I, I moved in, uh, you know, I, I had enough money saved up and my mom helped me a little bit. She, she gave me like 400 bucks and I just took that, got a ticket and I flew out to Columbus, Ohio, moved in with Chad. I, he got me a job at his place the first week I was there um, and we've just been living together and working ever, ever since then. God damn. So you really, yeah, you really just like packed up and left basically, huh? Yeah. No, no real plan apart from like a destination, I guess. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. But I, I had known the guys for a while, you know, we'd right. known each other for a couple of years and we were a lot closer than I found out that a lot of other friends in the sphere were like, mm. that, that's one of the things is I, I noticed that if I'd get into Skype calls with other groups of abridgers, they, they didn't seem as close as we were. They, they always mm. called each other. They, they seemed to only call each other by usernames. And there was like a, 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 a bit of a distance where it was like, yeah, we like making videos together, but like, we're just like casual friends. And it, and it was like with our group of friends, we were a bit closer, um, which is, I, I think is evident by the fact that we're still friends and still talk to each other. And most of us live together now. Yeah. Uh, I always find that interesting. Cause like, that's kind of a more of a newer phenomenon, right? Like people forming communities online and kind of forming relationships and stuff like that uh, through online communities. Like it's not that much different really. Like when you think about it, than you know, being friends with somebody at work or something and all that, but it is always interesting to me to like hear, especially like when it comes to content creation, because obviously that's somewhat relevant to us. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you talking about? 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. I had, I got this inclination one time that we would make content or something. Oh, that would be cool. Yeah, that would, yeah, that'd be, yeah cool. we, we should start a podcast. That'd be fun. <laughs> I mean, we just had these conversations naturally. If we just started yeah, recording, yeah, yeah. man, that would be so easy. <laughs> and always, then you, it always makes me laugh when I hear people say that. And then you like, make the podcast. Man, we didn't even record our conversations. Like, dog, unless you have like some pre- like speaking from experience of doing podcasts now. Unless you have some, like, it is not the same. Like, you're not going to be able to get, translate your, your conversation about uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia to a podcast unless you have some experience. Right, yeah. Let's be real. Um, but no, like, it's, it was always, because especially since we do, like, podcasts and stuff where we have to reach out and we have, like, a, a somewhat of a vested interest in just trying to help people, uh, you know, prop up their channels and uh, smaller creators and stuff. Uh, it always is interesting to like hear people's like how they kind of form groups and stuff. Um, so yeah, I, thanks for thanks for sharing. Nope, <laughs> I was curious when you mentioned it. No problem. Um, I guess I guess on the subject of like your uh, Ixer one video that you introduced me to that Nagisa Bonita AMV. How the fuck did you know about that? Well, like, is that just something that's like a meme, I guess, in the Ixer one sphere? Well, uh, it's a it's a classic AMV from a time long forgotten. But basically, when I so in the abridging community, there was sort of a, a gentleman's thing of, hey, if someone's abridging a series and they're like a pretty established, like they've done a couple episodes, they seem to be, you know, still active and stuff. Don't generally abridge the same series, which is a crazy thing to think of right. now. Um, mm-hmm. and, and when people would be like, hey, I'm going to abridge a series. I know this guy's already doing it. Um, I'm going to try to make you, you. They would go out of their way to make theirs feel very different. Um, mm-hmm. Like like Purple Eyes doing Code Geass when there were tons of other people who had attempted Code Geass and a couple of established ones already. And that's why he like kind of made his like he called it Code Geass abridgment and then just shortened it to Code Ment. And and he had a very different style than those guys, so I think it worked out. But there were there was this sort of a gentleman's kind of like, you know, be be wary, you know, don't try to step on someone else's toes and stuff. Um, and I thought Ixer One was great in that case because no one had abridged it. In fact, I had searched, you know, Ixer One parody, and I did find older videos. There was a uh, parody by a group called Sherbert who mostly did I think dirty pair parody dubs in the nineties. But they they had also done um, one called Ixer C, which was a parody of the Ixer Three OVA, where the whole premise is that Ixer Three gets the brain of Seiko from Project Aiko put in her, so she acts like a so she acts like Seiko basically, um, and it's and it's really just like a bunch of in jokes for the community, making fun of like Harmony Gold, Carl Masick, and and like convention stuff from that era. Um, name dropping, just mostly just name dropping a lot of titles that people from that era would know. Um, and, uh, but they hadn't touched original Ixer. Um, they had done, they had actually done Ixer 3 and, and an Ixer Girls Exalian parody, which looking up that parody was the first place I ever heard the Doctor Who theme. So that's a fun, <laughs> that's a, that's a, it was in that, it was their Ixer Girls Exalian parody. That's the first place I ever heard the Doctor Who theme. Um, did you know it was the Doctor Who theme or is that something you I didn't looked, like realize I looked, later? I looked it up 
almost immediately because I'm like, this is a really <laughs> unique song. I like the theremin going. And it's like, oh, what is this? And it was like Doctor Who theme. Oh, OK. You're like, oh, I've never watched. I still have only seen like one episode of Doctor Who. It didn't hit for me. Um, but yeah, that was where I heard the Doctor Who theme for the first time. Uh, but they hadn't touched original Ixer. But in searching for more Ixer content to, to check and do and, you know, deep dive into the series, I did find Nagisa Bonita. And that's where I, f- I found that. It makes me like think about like all the just shit that was like from like the convention era of like the 90s yeah. or whatever, like that people would have done that has just been like lost to time. Like, especially because like when we've done like our, uh, we do like streams sometimes where we do like a call it an Antube audit, which is just us basically just going through and like looking at other channels and just saying like, oh, this is what you might be able to do to like help. It's just mainly we just use it as a way to like high like platform other channels. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, but we give like some. I mean, it's not like we're experts or anything. We don't fucking know what the fuck we're doing anyway. It's just like something like oh, well, maybe you can work on this and maybe that can help. But uh, when we do that, we came across um, what was the what was the public broadcasting channel? Oh God, um, um, shit! I'm now I'll, I'll pull up the stream. Let me find it real quick. Um, we came across like a public broadcast channel that was like in uh. California in like I guess it'd been like the mid 90s the mid 90s yeah and it's the channel on YouTube is just like a um archive of like all these broadcasts that they did on this public access channel and it's just like them reviewing anime or like doing like skits uh like it's basically just like early YouTube except 10 years before YouTube existed and it's just like all this like weird like interesting stuff that has just like been completely lost uh like at least in like the anime sphere like community wise like no one's gonna talk about like these except us apparently (laughs) no one's gonna talk about these like public broadcast like anime review segments or whatever um project 760 production project 760 production there you go um yeah yeah there's like so much shit that's just like been lost like if it hadn't been archived on youtube like i would have never heard of this like this public access show where they're like interviewing mario jima in 1999 world like, of anime yeah like um yeah. which i guess to i guess it's like still kind of around it's at least persisted into 2017 because they're like there are uploads from then which is interesting to think about but it's like yeah because it, it, this it's weird to think about because it's pre YouTube. It's like, yeah, mid to late nineties, but then also uploaded onto like YouTube 2006. So they were weirdly on the forefront is that of that as well. Just trying to archive their old stuff. It's an interesting channel. Interesting. Like time capsule uh, into like the anime fandom running up, running up through like the, the two thousands too, which is interesting to see. I think we talked about like, I think Kenny talked about it. Like, that's almost like going to be the next frontier is like, like we already have like 2000s nostalgia where people kind of like look for like that aesthetic or whatever. I feel like, and then like you, you're starting to get like, what's that one YouTube channel where they like, they play fake cartoon, uh, Toonami blocks. Oh yeah. Were we looking at that on like the last stream even? I think we came across it on what, not the last stream. It was, um, it might've been the, the second one. Um, where it's just like 
someone puts together like fake to not like two hour tsunami blocks with like four different shows with like bumpers and all this shit, but they're not like actual recordings of them. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's at some point we're just going to reach where like people are looking for like old fan content. Yeah. Yeah, People are going to be like, Oh, I'm starving for that 2008 feel. Yeah. Well, it's kind of what like Hazel's channel is to an extent. Yeah, she's she's kind of getting onto uh, the forefront of that. Uh, funny, funny connection here. Her wife was in the abridging community. <laughs> oh, doing what? You know, like she was voice acting. Huh? She was. In, what, uh, I mean, I mean, I mean, not to not to pull any deep cuts, but she was actually a role in Tall Vertex's Mega Man Legends abridged. I didn't know they made the bridges of games. <laughs> oh yes, that was a. I mean, one of the biggest abridgers was Adam West Lapdog, who abridged uh, Zelda games, which he made in Windows Movie Maker, and his stuff was like kids content before kids content was a thing. And so he had like, this doesn't sound like a lot, but at the time, this was like he was one of the biggest abridgers because he had like thirty thousand subs, and he just like talked over Majora's Mask footage, and, and would make like references, but he was clean. So his content appealed to kids, and so he got a bunch of subscribers. Like even interesting. Th- um, he was a funny guy. That like, uh, like uh, his videos weren't very funny, but like he was a funny guy. He was always fun to see, like cameo and other people's stuff. It's weird. It's weird too because like abridging is still really popular, and maybe it's just like like is the, it? <laughs> it is because I, I I like I I was like are abridges still a thing? And I type in like anime abridge, and there's like. Chainsaw Man abridged, Jujutsu Kaisen abridged, like recent stuff pulling like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of views. Like Chainsaw hey. Man abridged, episode one, almost 500,000 views. Jujutsu Kaisen abridged, episode one, almost 3 million views. And and you know what sucks is that they can't make a dime off those. Yeah, I probably mean, not. Because I, I'm in a I am I am in a discord from from ages back with abridgers who are still active and like. I remember one of them was like, dude, we got our AdSense. We finally broke $100. And I'm like, oh, my, you poor thing. Uh, because YouTube won't send you a check until you've made at least $100. Yeah. And so, yeah. And so they were like, after like years, they finally made $100 because so much of a bridging content involves other material. And because like, it's just so prime for copyright. Like it is. Yeah. It's similar to AMVs in that regard. Too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Where, where it's like. like People say like AMVs are also dead, but you go to like anime conventions and at least like the ones that I've been to, there are like, uh, you know, like anime abridged showcases, AMV showcases, and they're set in these massive like ballroom like uh, rooms in these convention halls and they're always fucking packed. So there's clearly an interest for them, even if it's not necessarily as prominent or obvious online. Massive ballrooms that see at least 100 people. No, I'm talking like several hundred people. <laughs> There's at least 200 people. I was going to say, I won't name names, but I do know there was a um, there was a, a con where Team Four Stars panel had like people out the door and there was a voice actor who had a panel at the same time and his panel didn't even fill and he got so fucking pissed he tried to get team four star thrown out of the out of the con oh yeah and he he has had a grudge against them since damn con con, con drama is like like we talked about at the start con drama is always so fucking weird to me well, i guess it makes sense cuz it's just like random people that don't really necessarily have to worry about like yeah. maintaining an image right like 
the people running the cons are aren't like celebrities most yeah. i mean they think some they of them are. might be <laughs> they, they think, think they, they are. are yeah like, like yeah, i guess you, if you're you're the owner of fucking like the longest running anime convention in the united states like you might be a little bit more of a celebrity than whoever the fuck's running right but local. yeah I mean, a lot of people running times running cons are like background characters yeah by design really so you, you it makes sense that they just get caught up in this random fucking drama shit yeah um. Yeah, you t- you mentioned AOV Hell Three. Yeah, I feel like that that's like a nice glimpse into um, uh, that kind of time era of like, because like I remember when that came out. Um, I was I was aware of quite a few of the anime. Like I, they didn't introduce me to a lot. It interest, it, but it's got like fucking like hundreds in there. So like obviously it can't be all like all of them. Right. Like, I, people, I know I, think, I know specifically I remember immediately pausing at Dokorochan and being like, what is this? Where she like b- obliterates a guy with a base a spiked baseball bat and then just cutely walks over and gives him a hug. And I was like, all right, I, I'm very curious what show this is. <laughs> See, you had Dokorochan, I had Grenadier because I was Oh the boob bounce. Yeah, the boob <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they load their guns with the boobs. I was I was fascinated. I'm like, what the fuck is this about? They're bringing uh, they're bringing AMV Hell back too. Bringing and, it back. I don't think it ever like really went away. It just takes no them a one's long ever time really to make gone. Because like, what? How long goes AMV Hell Seven? Um, let me see. YouTube says. Oh, I guess that was like nine years ago. Yeah, AMV, yeah, AMV Hell was like nine years ago. Uh, I feel like they've done like like, side projects and stuff. Oh, maybe they had like championship edition and like just random like offshoots. Like they, I'm not seeing it on the channel though. I like this. I like I type in AMV Hell Seven and the thumbnail for it in the search result is just this. No homo. That's just (laughs) that's just the thumbnail for it. Is it just the thumbnail? I know YouTube search fucks up thumbnails sometimes. Yeah, no, that's that's just the thumbnail. That's funny. <laughs> no, what's no, JoJo's bizarre adventure? Um, yeah, it's funny that you brought that up because we've kind of wanted to um, bring on because I think some of the people that I, the, I think the main people even yeah have been involved are still involved doing it. So I like joined their Discord and I kind of want to do an episode on AMV Hell at some point. Uh, be fun episode. I don't know. I don't know how I would incorporate that though. I guess it'd just be a lot of like. What the fuck kind of shit were you on in 2005? <laughs> How did like, you get away know, with this? AMV Hell 3 like, was like quite a bit larger, I think, than people realized within like the anime spheres hmm. back in 2005. Like, I mean, if I were if I were seeing it and I wasn't like that deep in anime, I think that granted, like I was into anime. So if you weren't into anime, like obviously it wouldn't like on the level where you would. Yeah, it would just transcend the anime space but uh among the community itself like it was it was relatively pretty big so i would have been like six or seven years old when amv health back in like uh 2005 2006 so it's like (laughs) i was 13 i guess oh my god i yeah i was 12 when it came out but i didn't watch it until i was 14 i watched it on youtube in like 2007 yeah Back in the, back in the good old days of YouTube, when video, back in the, when you still had when you banner upload, ads, back when you would upload Drowning Pool AMVs, 
Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park, hell yeah. Dude, the Breaking class. Benjamin to Ash's Septile. Ash's Septile? Hell Is that yeah. a real thing? Yeah, or I'm, it may have been his Grovile. I'm, I, I am, I, apologies in advance. Bring out the Konata if you have to. But I just remember that being like a big AMV was Ash's Grovile uh, winning battles to Breaking Benjamin. All right, we're gonna, we're gonna fact check you on this. This is this is where your your expertise. I don't even know if I'm gonna be able to. Really, find is gonna this. come in. <laughs> fuck you guys. I'm not gonna spend hours looking for a fucking Breaking Benjamin Pokemon AMV. I actually don't know if Ash had a Sceptile, but he at least had a Grovile and whatever it. Oh, he had a Sceptile. Was it? Oh, he did. Okay, I didn't know if. Yeah, it had... evolved like very late into the show. I remember more so he was being Grovile, but yeah. I, so I th- did. Did he have Grovile in the episode where he fights Drake from the Elite Four? Um, I don't remember that because well. there's a, there's an episode where he he meets Drake and they go to a bar and Drake orders hot milk, um and might have been a four kids change, but uh, then they have a battle and like it's it's like Shelgon versus I think it was Grovile and that's why I'm gonna I'm gonna lean more into Grovile now, um yeah I, I think it was a Grovile if I'm remembering there's a, that there's episode a, right there's a video just titled Grovile tribute. From 11 years ago that uses I will not bow by breaking Benjamin. <laughs> oh, you, it's so crusty. Can you post that in the chat? It's probably not it, but I, I think it's really funny. So. Yeah, well, maybe. You, you know, this is to the it's it's not the same video, but it's in the spirit of the video. Right. Yeah. Close enough. I'll see if I can find I'll do some digging before this goes up. Um, okay, 13, 13 seconds in, Reggie the Grovile. Um, Reggie the Grovile was not in the original version, so this is a new, this is an, an, an alternate take on the Grovile, but um, <laughs> still worth watching, I think. <laughs> alternate universe Grovile. Um, I did, I did want to bring up, because like, as a, as a, I guess as a, a glimpse into the, how, how we work the podcast a bit. Uh, Typically, since we have a lot of like YouTube creators on, I usually just go watch their videos and I'll be listening at work or something and I'll be like, huh, something will stand out like uh, like in your double Zeta video as an example. Uh, we didn't end up we didn't end up talking about it. I mean, we could, I guess, but um, you were like talking about the context in which people watch something being important. And I was like, oh, that'd be that might be interesting to talk about. And so I'll, I'll, I'll jot a note down because like we've talked about that a lot on here. And so that's like a, a talking point that we could touch on. Um, your videos don't really have a lot of those <laughs> because you're like your content is so like just kind of deep dive, like uh, all encompassing of like the to- uh, topic. Like there's not a lot of just like tangents like that where you just kind of like give like insight into something like you got videos where like you're. Uh, your tier list thing you did recently. Yeah. Uh, I've always been like, uh, cause I've always had this feeling of like, Oh, I want my videos to be popular, but I don't want to be popular. I don't want people to know how I work. Um, yeah. And, and you know, with the double Zeta video, I did change that a little bit and I've been trying to, because I've been, you know, I get the impression that that's what people want to see in a YouTube channel is they want to get the creator's opinions uh, and, and how they feel about things. So I've been trying to put more of that into my videos. Um, I, I, I agree with that to the extent. Um, I definitely feel like, like you said, I feel like people don't value their own experience enough when they're talking about stuff. But I think your content works pretty well because it's like you doing a deep dive into something specific, like a show. So like you don't necessarily need to have it. Not that I'm saying don't do it. Um, I don't 
I'm just saying, like, I don't think like it, it hurts your content as much as it would hurt someone that's doing like fucking reviews. That's just like trying to be objective and like the animation yeah. is fluid at 23.47 frames per second. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you're doing just a review, it's like, okay, well, who cares? But what I, I I get what you're saying, where it's like I'm talking about the history, so it's like I'm talking about a show that came up before I was born. What does my interpretation have to do with the history of it, right? So, right, yeah. right. Um, so I end up having to like go through. I went to your my anime list. I was like, I, saw, oh. I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's go and see what he's watched and and uh, see what we can talk about. So uh, we don't we don't usually do this, but I'm, I'm going to rib you with this stuff because <laughs> it's just. Oh I my god! I, I put it there because I I don't care if people see it. So go on. <laughs> <laughs> you gave you gave Fudabu. A 10 out of 10. Right. But you gave Fudabu Mix, the Fudanari world, a 6 out of 10. Right. I, could you could you please I can, explain? I can, abso- <laughs> I can absolutely defend that. Have you seen the series? Have you? Are you familiar with it? Uh, I've, I've, I'm familiar with, I don't know which ones. I've seen some of them. Okay, though. well, so I'm also a fan. I've read the, so the original manga for Futabu, <laughs> or Futa Club, as it's sometimes translated, it has yes. been officially released in the U.S., um, and I own the official release. So I've read the manga mm-hmm. and I've watched all the anime adaptations, right? So mm-hmm. basically, if you don't know the story, it is about a girl in high school who joins a club for futas or or girls with penises, right? So, yes, right. But the thing is, this new girl doesn't have a penis. She's the first person in the club who doesn't have a penis. And uh, it gets really into like all the characters have like very set stats, um, and even the manga mm-hmm. has like um, it has like length, width and girth as uh, like these stat screens that pop up with all the characters. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> yeah, the first episode, which is that original one that I gave a 10 out of 10, is the one where we were introduced to the club, um, as well as having side story adventures where we explore the characters personalities. We get to see Aya's relationship with the green haired girl. I forget her name. I'm sorry. But that's one of the most interesting dynamics in the series, um, as well as the president who is like. um her whole thing is that her penis looks small, but when it gets erect, it like becomes the longest of all of the girls. Um, yeah, she's so, a grower. D- yeah. She's a grower, not a shower. So I I love that. I love I think all the characters and their interactions are great. And and mm-hmm. even the second episode, which you didn't list here, I think it's called like Futabu with two exclamation points. Um, yeah. That's the yeah. one that even that has a filler episode. And that filler episode is my favorite episode. So don't discount filler. Um, just because it's not manga canon doesn't mean it can't, uh, you know, it can't move you because because the, right. the filler episode is the one that introduces the character Ellen. Ellen is a uh, American exchange student. She has dark skin, pink hair, and she wears an American flag bikini. Um, and, and basically, like, she <laughs> challenges all the girls because she, like, hacks their their social media. They have a website called Facebookaki, and she hacks the site. <laughs> And so they have to do a contest where she has to uh, uh, have a cum contest where they all have sex and like you you have to try to make her come before you come. Uh, sure. Yeah, and as you do. And yeah. it's honestly, that's the best episode of the whole series. Now, if you're one, if you're wondering why does Futabu Futar, Futanari world have a six out of ten? I have to ask you, have you seen it? Have you seen it? I don't know if I've seen 
because now granted this material is manga accurate however it reaches a point in the manga where they actually leave the fuda club and start exploring other futanaris in the universe each having their own separate story unrelated to the club not saying that that's a bad thing or you can't do something like that you can't explore this world more but mm-hmm. it it, it kind of just the episode is really just vignettes um, because it's just going into these characters, these unconnected characters' lives, and how being a Futa affects that. And so we have the three vignettes of the three different characters. They're not connected. And honestly, I mean, you can't argue. The animation... As oh, this Fuda, is Queen B. I as, see what you mean. As Futa, as Futa Club went on, the animation actually stepped down with each entry, but it didn't become a problem, in my opinion, until here where the that the jump down is too great at this point, because I believe, mm. I believe food world actually does open with um, a, a piece about the food club. And it's the word it's the animation is terrible. It's like, Whoa, 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 what are we doing here? Um, it, yeah. It, well, that's, it, that's like queen B's whole thing. It's like very, very limited animation. Yeah. It's like, uh, we're tween, we're tweening PNGs at this. Yeah. Point. Yeah. And, basically and, just that. And so you have this second part where, not only is it this awful animation, but it's also with these characters that, you know, we, we, we spent the whole series building up these characters and now we're just going to go through these vignettes of random people in the world to this bad animation. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of checking out now. And that's why I gave it a six out of 10, because like, if you're into the food stuff, it's like, okay, you're going to get something out of this. And maybe one of the vignettes will resonate with you possibly, but you know, it does, it does. It's not the same caliber as we were led to expect from this series. It's understandable. Now, now that you've, you've you've expanded on it, this is why this is why numbers don't matter. This is why you have to ask people. This is why you have to ask. Yeah, it's all about the nuance. It's all about <laughs> the in between the numbers. Yeah, I I can I can see that. The reason I was, I was curious the if there was like because I noticed that they didn't have the same director listed, so I was wondering if there was a directorial change. And you, but, you don't even yeah. need to look at the credits; just watch the series, and you'll notice it. Yeah, you yeah you can tell very clearly. There's like a. a distinct visual difference between that second OVA and then uh, uh, Futunari world because of the studio change. And that's something that studio is kind of, uh, if you ever go to like the comment section on like a hentai website, you'll, you'll pick up very quickly that Queen Bee is like an infamous studio when it comes to hentai animation. I'll keep an eye out for them now. Yeah. It's like Queen Bee. And then anytime you see like, um, like a pink pineapple, then you know it's like okay, this will be animated well. That th- those are like the hallmarks you need to look for when it comes to this stuff. Yeah, you, you want your your food to come to be animated fluidly. Yes, sure. you want it. Yeah, you want it. You want you know. The, well, it's interesting because when it comes to hentai, the animation is actually limited in an interesting way because well, sex obviously has like a lot of like repetitive movement involved in it, so it is right limited by design in a certain way but you want those repetitive movements themselves to be animated well even if they're like I, I would even use the term again. I would use the term fluidly yes exactly yeah uh, <laughs> um you also gave you gave yoru yoru no yadaman yadaman of the night an 8 uh which is kind of incredibly based <laughs> I wish I could give that an eight. Um, did you? When, when did you watch? Did you watch like the Blu-ray release? It didn't get a Blu-ray. 
Did it not? It got a it got a sub only DVD. Um, Holy shit! Yeah, uh, I I watched it when it came out though. It was um, Funimation was posting new episodes on their YouTube channel at the time. It was like 2015. Um, and as as someone who was like super into Tatsunoko stuff, and I I, I honestly feel like I gave it that just because I like the premise and seeing all the the references and homages to past characters. The ending sure. the ending reuses animation, and I I don't know if that was like a mistake. I remember being like, wait, are they showing the same fight twice? I feel like they did something like that, where it was like they sh- they accidentally showed a fight twice. They'd, so what they did, I remember um, there's a point where the big guy, I forget his name. Yeah, the, the um, guy who's like the, who's supposed to be Tonzura from uh, from Yatterman. Yeah, he throws somebody and then they land and hit something and then they jump back to fight him. And then they immediately reused that animation cut of him throwing them again. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And it's like, it, it just, I really wanted to love that show because, like, I watched, I was watching as it was airing, and the first episode was like actually legitimately good. Yes, like that season didn't have a whole lot going on. It had, well, it had like uh, Yurikuma Arashi which was like the next uh, Ikuhara project, which people were looking forward to. Um, and then I had like, I think I had Tokyo Ghoul, Route A, um, Rolling Girls. I don't remember. I, I can't remember everything that aired, but like it, it, it didn't have like a lot going on. But that was like after like the first episode, that was like my anime of the season. I was like, holy shit, this is like really good. <laughs> and then like it, I still enjoyed it, like, after three or six episodes or so. Um, but it was, like, the second half, like, really suffered, I think, from the production. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And and like I said, I, I think I was giving it such a high score because I wanted to basically, like, this was a time, 2015, we weren't seeing a lot of fans who were into the retro stuff or cared about seeing stuff like that. And I was just like, I just kind of wanted to white knight for it a little bit, give it a little, you know, promote it a little bit get people interested it because it, it, it is an interesting show and it is cool to see a lot of those homages to old Tatsunoko characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've never, I, I've never watched uh, the original Tosunaku Yadaman. Well, I, I, I'm a fake fan cause I've only seen 32 episodes. I'm actually currently, uh, Inu, uh, Nora Inuji actually just finished subtitling the full series and I, I'm about 32 episodes in. Can't believe it. You didn't, you didn't learn Japanese and watch the entirety of the original. No, and it's funny because he said that you only need limited like Japanese to understand it because it's written for kids because, you know, it's very simple vocabulary, which is a lot of older <laughs> shows you can watch with yeah. just, you know, very cursory knowledge of Japanese and understand what's going on. That's I watched episodes. I watched series from the Toei Fushiki comedy series that were unsubbed. And I'm like, I, I wish like I feel like I speak Japanese because I could follow what's going on because, you know, it's written for kids. It's very, very simplistic. And then I noticed your favorite character on my list was uh, a character named Nayuta. Is that, I don't know, is that how you pronounce it? Nayuta? Yes. Um, which I've never heard of this character before. And I never heard of, of the movie she was from or adapted from anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, what can you can you sell me on on this movie or this character? Because I'm, I'm kind of curious. I kind of want to go check it out just based on the, it being your favorite character. <laughs> Because it's kind of a short, I and mean, it's like what under two hours. I it's it's, yeah, it's a minutes. it's a it's a single OVA, um, and it's based on a manga by Junko Sasaki, 
um, her who, whose art style I've always loved because she has this Masami Kuramata influence that a lot of shoujo artists had at that time. But it's it's I, I love that, you know, a lot of those shoujo series because they had that mix of shonen and shoujo before shoujo really. I feel like um, it, it, it was it was a type of shoujo style that didn't feel ubiquitously feminine, maybe I'd say, um, where I feel like by the 90s, you start to see like, OK, where you, you just take a cursory glance and it's like, oh, that's this is intended for girls. This is intended for boys. It, it, it lands in that because of Kuramata, the creator of Saint Seiya, um, but obviously he had female fans before that with stuff with, you know, Ringni Kakero. Um, you had that crazy mix of shonen and shoujo inspired by him. And you can even see it in, um, what's his name? Shimamoto. Shimamoto's art style also has that, that, that crazy mix of shonen and shoujo style in it, inspired by Kuramata. Um, so not only does Junko Sasaki have this um, style that I really like, but also the story is um, it's about a young girl who finds a crown that when she wears it, she gains uh, psychic powers. Um, and and what, what she learns is that ancient civilizations were created by aliens and the aliens um, are now coming back to Earth to to basically kill all humans and take it over. And um, there's all there's elements of time travel where uh, just like aesthetics that I like, it incorporates aesthetics of ancient civilizations, aliens, um, aliens that don't look humanoid, which is something I love to see. I I, I prefer that over mm, humanoid yeah. aliens. Um, the idea that there's time travel aspects. So she meets dinosaurs and I, I'm a huge fan of seeing dinosaurs. Um, but uh, so so it has like all these aesthetics that I like. Um, I, I discovered it through that OVA and I think the OVA isn't isn't very great um the especially the soundtrack the soundtrack i a friend of mine because he knew i liked it sent me the soundtrack and it's like oh this is very like basic synths and uh but it was kind of a lower budget ova but mm. I, i've just always liked that and i like that character she's she has that she's a young girl but she also has like motherly aspects and i like that because i think a lot of people don't may not realize or might not think about it but a lot of the elements that we develop in adulthood start when we're teenagers. Um, and it's, in, it's, right, in, yeah. it's interesting to look back on youth and see like, Oh, this aspect of me that I, you know, part, that's part of my adulthood that actually started when I was a teenager. Um, and so that's, that's an element of the character I've always enjoyed. Um, so yeah, it has, it has aliens, dinosaurs, ancient civilizations and, uh, and a cool art style. That's my, that's my, that's my pitch. She kind of gives me like a Nausicaa vibe for some reason. Is she is she kind of like a character like that? Uh, Nausicaa? Uh, I don't know if I'd say at least from like the picture. <laughs> yeah, the the <laughs> Which does... the crusty screenshot on uh on Mal. Yeah. Well, th yeah. that is a thing. This is one of those OVAs that never got a release beyond DVD. Apparently, even the laser disc was relatively rare. We just kind of got lucky mm. that someone managed to rip it and and they did sub it. Hmm. I saw there was a release on. Uh on a yeah that said it was a dvd release but it didn't have any seeds so i had to download the laser disc maybe it did get a dvd which, release but i i've only seen the laser disc rip that's i mean that's all i was able to get <laughs> that might for all i know the dvd was just marked as a dvd and it was a laser disc but uh i don't know i can't i can't verify because it had no seeds and speaking no to download it speaking of dinosaur action 
Have you seen Dinosaur War Eisenborg? No, I've watched the first four episodes of Born Free, though. Okay. I actually streamed them, and I was like, I was surprised Twitch didn't like copyright me or anything. I just streamed them on <laughs> Twitch. I remember like seeing, uh, just if we were going through like old, just looking at like old mecha anime from the 70s one night in chat, like not in chat, but just like in a call. And I remember seeing that, and I really want to watch it because it honestly looks really fucking cool. Like, as far as I'm aware, I can't think of any other anime that incorporate tokusatsu and, like, anime, like, and merge them together in so, that way. So, do you know about the Tsuburaya Dinosaur Trilogy? No. So, so I only know Eisenborg. So, so, Eisenborg is part of a trilogy, and there's two other shows like it, uh, kind of. Okay. Um, Born Free, which I just mentioned, is the same, where it's, um, it's, it's like, they're, but they're called, they're like a dinosaur rescue squad. Um, okay, but, but the characters are animated. They were actually animated by Sunrise, but the the mini it's sets and and miniatures and puppets um, interacting with these animated characters. Oh uh, yeah, um, I think I think it did. Get, it even got a Western release where it was like edited as a movie and called like the Great Dinosaur Rescue or something. Something like that. I know there is like like some sort of like I know it was brought over in some capacity. Yeah, because Red Letter Media has a copy of it on their shelf, which I've noticed. Oh, do they? That's hilarious. They do. They have that, and they have Guyver Dark Hero. Maybe that'll come up on Best of the Worst. I so. really, yeah. So. I just want Rich Evans to watch Guyver Dark Hero. God damn it! Oh, that'd be funny. So start a petition to make Rich Evans watch <laughs> Guyver Dark to Hero. make them watch. Uh, weird specific anime that would probably they'd be very confused by well that's the best part yes There's complete be befuddlement um i don't know we we've, we've been going for a little bit i know i know sai looks at the fucking times he's like oh my god and i'm like going. i need to edit this uh i do the last thing i want to end on because i watched your i watched your tier list video and uh you ended on this. <laughs> yeah. And I and I was I was confused as to the level of irony there. <laughs> so, so so I what are your thoughts I, on Marvelous Melmo? Okay, so no, I, I'm sorry I had to throw Marvelous Melmo under the bus for that joke. Um I, I didn't script any of my tier list video. I just really just I made the tier list so that I could put the stuff in. I put I just put the PNGs in and then I hit record and went, okay, go. Um, and it just so happened that after I gave a long spiel about the Roroni Kenshin guy, the last series left was Marvelous Melmo, which which <laughs> does unfortunately have some moments that sexualize children. That being said, that being moments? Sa yes, uh, that being said, <laughs> there is much more to the show, but the irony was not lost on me. So I decided to run with it and make a joke out of it. <laughs> I mean, you have to commit to the pits. That's yes, fair. absolutely. No one, no one. Well, Marvelous Melmo's like Tezuka as like pure schizo. It's Tezuka. It's, it's Tezuka. He made the show to as a way to teach sex ed. It's supposed to be watched yes. by children to teach them sex ed. The version I watched, which is the only <laughs> version I can find, is the '90s version where they added additional scenes and redubbed they all the re voice actors. They reanimated some stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because I've, I've mentioned this on Twitter how there's an episode where the, the teacher mentions having a computer, and I'm like, that's not from the 1971 version of this show. Right. Yeah, that makes no sense. Uh, but it's very funny to watch the show with the with the idea in mind that it's yeah supposed to be like sex ed for kids and stuff, and then you watch it and you're like. 
what the fuck is going on? Tezuka, Tezuka, why, why, why does she need to TF into an animal, Tezuka? What part of sex education is that? Why is, why is a, a rabbit trying to have sex with a Jesus Christ, Tezuka? She just burned down an entire <laughs> ecosystem. What are you doing? Why did she Mellow. turn her brother into a frog and leave him that way? She left him that way till the end of the show. I was, my, because I was, I was watching that episode on Discord and a friend popped in and was like, Oh, you watching a show? And I was like, yeah, and he joined in. And then it was the it was the episode where he turns into a frog and he goes, are they going to turn him back? And I said, yeah, he 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 was a normal kid for the whole show. They're going to turn him back by the end of the episode. And then they don't. No, um, they don't. They, they, several episodes go by. They wait like I want to say it's like 15 episodes to turn him back. Yeah. It takes forever. That's like actually horrifying. Like yeah. imagine you just stuck as a frog and this kid that went to your school just disappeared <laughs> like months. There is like a certain a degree of just of unintentional body horror in that. Like I get the idea is like, oh, well, she's supposed to like turn into like different animals and stuff. But the way it's executed with her like regressing to like a single cell like, like, like a zygote. Yeah. Yeah. And then think- and then she becomes a different animal. And the animation for that is it actually fucking scared the shit out of or, me or as an when, adult watching that. Or when she uses it like an attack and and like she'll turn oh, an, yeah. en- she'll turn an enemy into a baby and it's like it's just a reminder that I could kill you. It's- yeah. <laughs> God. I, I I think you I think you are underplaying the unintentionality of it or you're overplaying the unintentionality of it because I think like the frog thing was definitely intentional to a degree because like they they focus on like how depressed he is and he's just stuck as a frog like it's there's nothing about it that's really funny like he sh- keeps trying to walk <laughs> or do-, do things and he can't well it's the fact that frog. it is intentional that makes it all the more like confusing and hilarious because it's like it's it's such a just watching the first episode is such a massive what the fuck experience like <laughs> like the, i mean her mom dies in the first like it is the first seconds. thing that happens and then you no later context. you find out she didn't the car accident didn't isn't what killed her her massive ass deflected the car <laughs> into like a lamppost ejected a tire off of it which hit her in the head and that's what killed her i'm glad oh yeah i'm, I'm glad they went through the trouble of making that distinction yes <laughs> this is yeah. that was deeply troubling me tezuka while watching the show thank you for clarifying if if you want if you want a taste if you've never heard of or watched melmo if you want a taste the the, the episode i always point to is the what the fucking elephant where oh, no. she wants to save an elephant from captivity yes and take it back to africa even though it's not an african elephant Which if you hear the words tezuka and africa you're probably immediately like oh no <laughs> yeah uh so she turns the elephant into an egg which she then puts into a thermos but then cannot get on an airplane because she's a child. So she grows into an adult and, and masquerades as a flight attendant, taking this egg in a, uh, in a thermos to Africa, where she then releases it into the wild. And then the wild elephants do not like it is not it's not able to acclimate to the wild elephants. They start bullying it because it's just this new elephant that's just been introduced into their fucking environment. No understanding so of she pack then, dynamics. Exactly. And so she then 
feeds all of the elephants in the herd the fucking egg, or the the pill, the candy that like turns them in old. And like literally <laughs> turns them into like elderly elephants, essentially dooming them to death. And then she takes this elephant back to Europe and, and like it, it then uh, finds like a circus elephant, which then it gets married to and then goes off on a cruise ship and they live happily ever after. Yeah, that's like there's a logic three. to it. It's just <laughs> it's just the logic of an insane person. <laughs> like it. And this is the most like fucking like. This is one episode, by the way. Fever dream. Yeah, this is one episode. This is just one it might episode. Be like half an episode. Because th- sometimes they're like half episodes. I don't remember if there's an entire episode to that or if it was just half. No, that was a full episode. one. That was a full one. It was a full one. I couldn't remember. But uh, yeah, this the show. It is actually fucking amazing. It, like I feel like I I recommend it to everybody that you should go watch Marvelous Melbourne. Yes, it is. It is the greatest. There's anything experience. you take away from this episode? Watch Marvelous Memo. I think the entire thing's on YouTube. Uh, they they yeah. subbed like the first four episodes and then they quit um, because they're oh. cowards, I would say. Um, <laughs> but but it is on some uh, illicit sites. It's pretty easy to find if you know where to look. Discotheque, give us a physical release of Marvelous Melmo. We demand it. It's what the people want. It's what the people want. The greatest and the really it's the greatest magical girl ever created. Madoka Magica, Sailor Moon. Nah, fuck that. Marvelous Melmo. Marvelous Melmo. And and <laughs> arguably the first dark magical girl. The first dark magic. It does get very dark. Again, her mom dies. Is that's like how the show starts. She just gets hit by a car, and then like. I think in that same episode, she gets kidnapped or whatever. And yeah, then has she to, like yeah. seduce or kidnap her. No, that's that's the first before that she's adopted by her aunt who just wants them for the money. Yes. And is abusive. And so she then has to use the candy to pose as her mother to scare off her aunt who is using these two like thugs to like (laughs) impose her will. And so she runs off her aunt and is able to like get their house back where she is now raising her siblings as their mother by herself at like, what, how old is she? Like, she's like like eight or ten yeah she's fucking young and then she goes out and then is kidnapped by some guy getting uh, she we say kidnapped she was 18 in her human adult form yes so she was it wasn't like this guy this guy just got pissed off at her for like handcuff her too like yeah. yeah Uh, handcuffs handcuffs her to him because she was upset at how she, his reckless his driving was. She almost hit, he almost hits. Her yeah, and that's right. They're, and, they're, and then there's a scene where they're like hanging over a cliff. Yeah, yeah she keeps turning into an infant and an old lady, <laughs> and like he's like going fucking. I think he actually gets committed to a mental ward at the end. <laughs> it's such like a fucking like what the fuck am I want? And the best part is every episode has to incorporate sex education into it yep so like you'll be watching the show and all of a sudden it just stops it goes into like this this kind of laid back inform quote unquote informative kind of like picture book segment where it starts talking yeah (laughs) talking about the stages of life and development um sexual dimorphism in the middle of this show yeah (laughs) you're like Like, what is going on it is it is the greatest thing Yes. I've ever seen anyone anyone that says Marvelous Melmo is not good uh, is a coward. Um, I challenge you 
We will we will have a debate on the merits of Marvelous Melmo. Completely serious debate about this completely <laughs> serious show, by the way. Like there's elements of comedy in it, but none of the stuff we're describing is like is comedic, at least not overtly. I don't know. Like I think he definitely has that aware because like he he animates some of this like the car stuff, like his animated like a, a Looney Tunes or Hanna Barbera thing. Sure. Like the car is like bouncing and like fluid and stuff like that. But the way her her mom's lifeless body just smacks onto the pavement is so fucking funny. It was fucking jarring too. Yeah. Like, like, what the fuck is happening? Last night I dreamt of some shoujo. A little Susie Q with her so blue, young girl with eyes just like Seiko. A perfect battery so kawaii. Nagisa o